Mark, that is, did we establish, is that Mills Lane? I believe so. I've always wondered who put that together. It wasn't me. Well, it's how not that came me. to be that that's our... I don't know. Do you think I will be logged into my email by the time the show's over? Uh, if I had betting odds, I would bet no. Only because I can't remember my 10 passwords. Yeah, that's an issue. Uh, good morning, everybody. Down. It's a Thursday. My name is Jake Query. That is Mark Dykton. Sam Fritz here as well. Kevin Bowen will be back on Monday. It is Kevin and Query here on 93.5-1075 The Fan. And, man, the week does fly by because here it is. Uh, and I know that we had, you know, some history in baseball last night. And, you know, there are other sports going on. But, boom, like we're right back to Thursday Night Football tonight. It's another big one. But it does feel, I don't know, maybe I'm just getting older. But it does feel like the days just flash flash past, and there is literally like an NFL game every day. Yeah, no, I feel like that too. I I'm always, I mean, I'm a huge NFL fan, so I'm always like, come on, let's get to the next week, and then boom, here it is already because you got Thursday night huge game, Chargers and Chiefs. That is an Amazon Prime game, the first uh, first itineration of the Amazon Prime with uh, Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet. So that should be pretty interesting. Uh, but yeah, I feel like the football season always flies by because. You'll blink and it'll be week ten all of a sudden. You're like, what? What the hell happened? And then we'll be so talking. So my playoffs. question is, if it's on Amazon Prime, does that mean that there is nowhere that you can watch it other than that? And so, I know that I mean that's such an elementary question, but like, can I only watch this on? I'm going to sound like the old guy here. Okay, I have Amazon Prime. I just have it on my phone. I don't have it on. I just have regular cable on my television. Okay. So do you have like a smart TV or anything where you can download apps? I, I, I think. Okay. Well, because if you can do that, you download the Prime Video app and then you log in with your Amazon account and then boom, there it is. Now, I don't know how to like log that into my TV. Okay. Would you like me to come over after the well, show? Well, you need like a fire stick or something, right? Well, unless you have like a Roku or like a like a smart TV with the ability to just download apps straight to your television. Maybe. Okay. Well, I mean, this is, and I'm listen. I'm playing a little bit dumb guy here. Can you mirror? Think, can you screen mirror from your phone to your television? Or is that like? I, I am I, are you way over your head when I, I ask don't know you that, that question? Means. Okay. I, I I will tell you this, and I know people are probably like, "What an idiot!" I get it. I'm 50 years old. I don't think of myself as an old 50. Maybe I am in some regards. I live on my own. It's just me. Now, Shannon's house has everything. She's got a huge TV with Xfinity and, um, what is that, Comcast? Uh-huh. And every, she has everything on there. Hulu, um, All the Netflix, yeah, YouTube, she's got everything on there, right? For me, where I live, in the area where I live, satellite television is not, is not an, or, you know, I know it's not like you have a dish, but Dish Network, Xfinity, those are not options. There is literally only one cable provider in my area. And it has, I just have cable. I have cable television. And so, you know, I've got a big TV that I went to wherever, like Best Buy or something like three years ago and bought a TV that's like got a flat screen on it. And I, cable guy came out and plugged it in and that's my television. Okay. Well, I'm not sure. I'd I have, have I have Wi-Fi as well. Okay. So well, I'm very good. advanced in that regard, yes. There you go. Well, I'd have to actually like look at your television or the remote to see if you can actually download apps. I'm assuming... If it's only three years old, you should be able to, but I think it depends on the brand and, and whatnot. So. Right. 
But no, if you have uh, if you have Amazon Prime, but that's I, the way to watch the, it. The if reason I say that, Mark, there are probably a lot of people in their like retiree age that would be very confused by exactly oh, that. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. So. Yeah, if you have Amazon Prime Video, you can watch the game. The only way to watch it on local television is if you're in one of the markets that has the game today. Gotcha. So Chargers, if you're in, in the L.A. area, you would have access to it on, I'm assuming, one of the local affiliates. Same with Kansas City. Uh, but other than that, I think you're, uh, your best bet is Prime Video tonight. Gotcha. Uh, but nonetheless, Thursday's here. Let's talk about with the Colts as well because – you know, we haven't really, and maybe this is kind of the time of the week when we do it, Mark. You know, you get through Wednesday, so you, you've kind of rehashed. We've kind of gone over everything about the Houston game. Now you start to look forward, and it's a pretty intriguing matchup because Jacksonville, I, you know, I don't know that we totally know who Jacksonville is. I think there's the expectation. I go back to if you look at Peyton Manning's first year here, you know, the Colts were terrible. They were 3-13. and They turned the ball over all over the place. And then you could kind of just see where everything came together for him. And it, things started to make sense. They started playing well. You know, all of a sudden they've got, I think Cornelius Bennett came in that year and was kind of a different, they, they solidified a defense. And, you know, it's like, oh, wow. Like, they're they're winning games here. And, and they were, and then boom, you know, no looking back. I'm not saying that's going to happen with Jacksonville, but I don't think this is, the complete Keystone Cop version of Jacksonville like we saw from a year ago. God, I hope not. Can you imagine what Lindy's show will be like if that if that happens? No, no, no. I don't mean by the game. I'm saying the Jaguars' competence. Oh, yes, I agree. Yeah, no, I... I, I, I mean, I don't think the Jaguars are going to be competing for a playoff spot, but, you know, like a 7 to I 9 I don't think they're going to be incompetent. Maybe? I think Urban Meyer's gone. I th- feel like that was a whole blank show last season. So I think Trevor Lawrence will get right. Doug Peterson, Super Bowl winning coach, he's been there, done that. I expect the Jaguars to be a better team. Again, I don't. Yeah, like you said, I don't think they're going to be a playoff team, but I don't expect them to be the dumpster fire that they've been for the majority of their time as a franchise. Uh, by the way, that is apparently an NFL official from NFL Films. Thank you, Scotty. The watch it, watch it, watch it. Oh, I always thought it was Mills Lane during a fight. Could have been. You Would know. have made sense. Mike Tyson biting at somebody or something. Uh, speaking of biting and fighting, you know, you got a household full of kids. Everything all right last night? Anything fun and exciting? Doing anything fun? Nothing too crazy. Uh, yeah, my wife had work, so I had all three of the girls. They all went down for a nap simultaneously, which is a very rare occurrence. So kind of just unwinded a little bit. I was doing some show prep, listening to some Colts press conference stuff. Uh all that stuff. So I was really living it up with my quiet time. But that'll all take place in a couple of weeks when uh, I'm running solo for like 10 days while they're down in Florida. Are you having a party? I probably should. Probably should. Get one of those fireball kegs? Oh, yeah. Hook me up. <laughs> That's one of more advertising. I need two fireball <laughs> kegs. One for me, one for everybody else. Got 10 days to kill here. I mean, why not, right? Might as well. Yeah, that could, that could be trouble. Yeah, my wife's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I'll actually golf a little bit. I, don't, I have no idea. When I was a, I believe, sophomore in high school. Yes, it would have been sophomore in high school. My mom and my aunt went to Africa. My aunt always wanted to do a safari and took my mom, her only sister, and the two of them went to Africa. Needless to say, that's not exactly a Wednesday to Sunday trip. So they were gone like, I don't know, 10 days or something. 
my my two sisters were both out of the house by then. They were both in college, so it left my dad and I. And my mom assigned every woman she was friends with a different dish to have prepared to bring over to the house for my dad and I to have dinner. Uh-huh. Well, that's very nice. This sounds very good housekeeping, 1964. But And so we dropped my mom off at the airport, and we're driving home, and my dad's like, okay, you want White Castle tonight or Pizza Hut? Uh, Pizza Hut, whatever. Day two. You know, we Lindsay Miller brought over this casserole, but, like, do you want to we'll hold that off, and do you want to get, you know, whatever? Sure, yes. We ate junk food and guy food and, you know, carry out and drive th- all of it for like a week, like eight days. And with like two days before my mom returns home, my dad says, uh, we have a situation here. We have to eat all this food? And I said, okay. And he said, you need to invite every guy you play basketball with and every one of your friends over and we're going to have a huge dinner. And we put out basically an MCL cafeteria spread, and every guy I grew up with came over and ate everything, and then we left a bunch of di- – we cleaned all the dishes and da-da-da-da-da and had them ready to go back to the respective people. And Oh, it's wonderful. Thank you. My mom's That's called like, ingenuity <laughs> right there. My mom's like, I'm so proud of the way you guys took care of yourself. That's going to be me. My wife's not going to recognize That's gonna me. That's going to be you, right? I'm going to be like 300 pounds. She's like, what do you do? I'm like, well, hey, I took food out for 10 days. I'm not touching the kitchen. Uh, did you see the history that was made yesterday in Major League Baseball, or last night, I should say? I did, yes, in the uh, St. Louis Cardinals game, Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. I'm a little surprised. It was kind of funny. I had a double reaction to that. For those that are unfamiliar, last night Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina started, I believe, their 325th start together as a battery, right? Correct. Now, that is... That seems almost inconceivable, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, I know it. It is wild because I feel like Adam Wainwright was like on the verge of his career being over a few times, and Yadier Molina. I mean, he's just been the backstop of the Cardinals since, as far right. as I can remember. I don't even remember another catcher on the team. But the the impressive thing about that, the thing that surprised me about it was number one, that of all combos, it would be those two guys, and then number two that, like, I never would have assumed that it would be those guys. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, okay, so what pitcher-catcher combination? I mean, if you even think of, like, the Reds' ace, you know, Johnny Bench was a red catcher forever, but they were kind of constantly rotating through pitchers, right? I mean, I think for that, for that kind of a record to be set, a catcher to have that kind of longevity is impressive enough, but pitchers just don't stay with one team long enough, typically. Right? right? Yeah, yeah. Free agency. I mean, teams are players are jumping all over the place every other season. It feels like how many uniforms has you know Bryce Harper been in now, or you know Edwin Jackson from all teams? Like he had four, what fourteen teams in seventeen years? I mean, who was the longest standing? Like Gary Carter was with the Mets for a long time, or Lance Parrish was with the Tigers for a long time. But what pitcher would have been there for 15 years? Because, I mean, that's a lot. Like, what's the average number of starts in a season for a pitcher? Probably 30. 30, Yeah. Right? So you're looking at 11 years in order to get that. It's pretty impressive, right? It's very impressive, yeah. Yeah, those Uh, two guys. Cardinals won the game, by the way, 4-1. No home run for Albert Pujols. 
I still think still think he's going to get to 700 by the time that's all said. I and think done that's almost. I mean, that is a foregone conclusion at this point. If he's it? stuck at like 699 and the season ends, do you think he comes back just for like? I'll play until so, I hit 700. Okay, so when we were in St. Louis for the IndyCar Gateway Race, I saw my man Frank Cusimano, who is like the rich Nye of St. Louis. Not Bill Nye? The science guy. Yeah. No, this is uh, Rich Nye, the sports guy. Now okay. the news guy, somewhat sports guy at Channel 13, right? Uh, although Channel 13 did have an anchor the other day. Did you see that? No. The Indianapolis Colts uh, taking on, you know, da, 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 where was... Oh, the Jim Irsay collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, WTHR was doing a story on that. Jim Irsay brought all of his bells and whistles to the Jim Irsay collection. Uh, there included was former player uh, Edgar and James. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did Edrin go on like a, a you know trip across the land or something? Edgarin? Call me Edgarin from now on. <laughs> Edgar and James. Um, but at any rate, when I saw Cusimano, I asked him, I said, hey, What's going to go on with Pujols? Do you think he's going to get it? And now Frank Cusimano, who has covered the Cardinals from, you know, the, literally like since probably Kurt Flood was holding out. Uh, Cusimano told me, he said, Jake, he swears to me this is it. Doesn't matter. Does not matter if he's at 699 and his last at bat hits off the top of the fence and is not a home run. This is it. And then he said, but... He's going to break it because they closed in Pittsburgh, and that is his personal sandbox. Okay? But he said, no way. said, this is it. And then he also said, as as he and I have, well, I mean, everyone in St. Louis when I cover the Cardinals would say, he's like, listen, we don't even know for certain that he's 42. Oh, yeah, you've said that a couple times. Yeah, so when I, and I've told this a few times, Albert Pujols, remarkable talent, great guy. Um, I mean, I don't know him well, but but by all account, I should say, great guy. When I was a reporter in St. Louis, Pujols was coming into spring training. We called him Pujols at first. That's how little he was on the radar. And Mike Eastler was the hitting coach of the Cardinals, and I will I will remember this as long as as long as I live. They had. At training camp in St. Louis, they had a and maybe maybe all teams have this. I don't know, but in Jupiter, Florida, they had on the along the wall, they had a series of tight like stapled into the wall were rubber tires, literally like Goodyear tires, uh-huh. so that half of the circumference of the tire was sticking out of the wall. And the batting exercise they would do is guys would swing into the rubber. I, I, I mean, you would think that that would really hurt because boom like it would stop but I guess it you know it creates a resistance to your swing and I was walking through the like area where that takes place and Mike Eastler who was their hitting coach was like ecstatic and excited and incredulous and looking for anybody to tell a story to because of what he just witnessed and so I'm walking, and he's like, oh, my gosh. And it, I, it just happened to be me that was walking through. I kid you not, hand on whatever book you'd like me to put it on. And he said, you got to see this. And I said, okay. And we went over, and in the wall was a tire with two strips of rubber because it had been sliced through. And Pujols was batting and broke through the rubber. Wow. 
He'd never been. I mean, it wasn't like it like cleaned it all the way through, but like it it bent it in to the point where it ripped the rubber. And he's like, I've I've never seen this. This is the first time. Mark McGuire, Jack Clark, George Hendrick, take your pick. I've never seen anybody do this. And he's like that kid. And he's like, and that was like that was that was the kid, the young kid, and it was Pujols. But at any rate, he was a star from the get go, and and I know I've told the story before, but in short, we wanted to go and do a feature on Pujols on where he came from, the background of Albert Pujols, because he had grown up in the Dominican. He came to the United States in high school, uh, played high school baseball in the Kansas City area, or I don't know if he played high school baseball, but like travel ball or whatever. And then, you know, the legend was born. And so I said, we should go to the Dominican and do a story on on his upbringing. And he, Pujols would not sign off on it, would not sign off on it. This went on for years. And years later, I ran into my coworker who had worked so hard on that particular story. And he said, oh man, you're not going to believe what we're doing. So what? And he said, we're going to the Dominican. <laughs> no kidding. He finally signed off on it. And he said, yes, but the only caveat, the only agreement is we are not allowed to ask to see his birth certificate and we're not allowed to ask anyone there how old he is. Because not that Pujols was being uber super secretive, but the thought process, which I think now has almost kind of been accepted, is that Albert Pujols is actually his older brother. And the player that we see, the man that we know as Albert Pujols, is actually like Alexander Pujols, who is the who is the I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Albert Pujols is his younger brother. Okay. So in other words, Alexander Pujols is like forty six years old, but when he was twenty, his little brother had a birth certificate that said he was sixteen year old Albert. So twenty year old Alex took sixteen year old Albert's paperwork mm-hmm. and brought it to the United States. And Albert Pujols, the legend, was born. Now, again, I, I don't know how factual that is. And I don't blame – I mean, I think it's probably – that could even be like an innocent mistake, truth be told. I don't think it was like conniving. But he, but Pujols, from the time that he arrived in St. Louis, he was very much like Kurt Warner in the fact that he had dated a woman who I believe had a special needs child or maybe Pujols himself had a special needs like brother. Um, and so he was just extremely giving to children of need and – just a super down to earth, wonderful player and wonderful human being. By yeah, all account. I mean, even as a Cubs fan, I respect what he's no question. He's to the game and everything like that because he just yeah seems like a great guy on and off the field. So uh, I assume he's going to hit the 700 home runs, uh, and we won't I have to worry think, about next right? season. I mean, he's got three to go. He's got a few weeks to go, and he's so. been kind of on a tear here, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like I think he's the hottest batter in baseball since the All Star break. And he's like not one of the worst heading into it. So he's done a complete 180 this season since then. So we'll see. But yeah, history going on in St. Louis on a number of fronts. Meanwhile, some history could have been happening here locally. Did you see what was going on at Lucas Oil Stadium? They got some people buzzing about T.Y. Hilton's oh, future. Oh, yeah. How about that? Yeah. How so. about that? We'll have to tell people what we're talking about, like. If you were driving around yesterday, and by the way, if you were driving around this morning, just uh, an FYI, on the east side of town, if your commute typically takes you in the vicinity of 34th and Arlington, there is police activity there this morning where that quadrant of town basically is 
shut down. So if you are near the 34th and Arlington area, um, near that cross street, you're going to run into uh, some road blockage and some major hazards. So be cautious of that this morning. If you are driving near downtown, you may indeed have noticed something. Notice something peculiar and changes in the air that perhaps is the smoke, if you will, from the Vatican on something that we have speculated about for quite some time. We'll tell you exactly what that is in the pop quiz when we return. And we'll talk plenty about or not the pop quiz. The pop quiz, by the way, has uh, Scotty has an answer in the pop quiz about the, the battery record that was set last night. That's what I was thinking of there. Uh, when the morning checkdown comes back, we'll let you know what we're talking about. And we'll get into now focusing Colts Jags, week number two of the NFL, all this morning on a Thursday. Kevin Aquari, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. By the way, taking a look at the college football slate this weekend, we'll begin with Ball State. They will be hosting Murray State 2 o'clock up in Muncie. Telling you, great value, easy in and out. To go watch some college football. Ball State taking on Murray State 2 o'clock on Saturday. Go it Birds, will be chirp, chirp. Indiana and Western Kentucky kicking things off at noon on Saturday. That's the same time that Purdue is in Syracuse. That's kind of a tricky game for the Boilermakers. Yeah, that one, that one I'm not sure what's going to happen. Because Syracuse is one of those. Look, I've seen Clemson go in there before where Syracuse is kind of the classic play above themselves team. They, don't, they may not win a lot of games, but... They're never, I'm telling you, they're never an easy punch out. But good one for Purdue on Saturday in Syracuse. Cal is at Notre Dame, 2.30 on Saturday. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, Mark, but I went to, it used to be when IndyCar, when we raced in Sonoma, I went to a, I went to the season opener Cal Berkeley game like four years in a row. Really? Saw him play Texas, saw him play Ole Miss. Uh, the Cal Berkeley uh, crowd, a late arriving crowd. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, Not of, at all. A lot of wine and cheese. By the way, uh, Marion coming off of their tight win. Did you see, remember their score? They had an off week after this because it was a, a nail biter. Marion University, their first game against Madonna University. Uh, the material girl, rough. 86 nothing. Marion won. St. Francis of Illinois, 605. Fireworks night for Marion coming up here on Saturday. I always want to go to like a wine and cheese party. Be like, you guys got mozzarella? <laughs> What about the what about the I cheese? Can only imagine, what about the one in the can? Can you bring the canned cheese? What about you guys got American cheese? I can I like, some, if you cheese can mix snobs cheese with like, aerosol, what is this doofus doing here? I'm all about Who invited it. this guy? Yeah. Can I make a grilled cheese real quick? What about the aerosol cheese with bacon flavoring? <laughs> that's that's high fluting right there. You guys done whippets before? Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> some some jackass brought the cheese in a can, and we can't get the cheese out because they've already gotten all of the wine aerosol con- out of it. His wine contribution came in a box. He bought Kraft Singles. Uh, baseball news. What if you brought Velveeta? Is that not even the real thing? Like, who is this guy? Walmart brand. Uh, Pirates it, Pirates all over the Reds yesterday. 10-4. to 4. The Reds officially eliminated from the postseason. Apologies, Jake. That was Kevin, like two days ago. No, it just they did send it out. No. said eliminated. Cubs get the surprising sweep over the Mets, 6-3. to 3. That was impressive. Cardinals, we've already talked about. They topped the Brewers, 4-1. to 1. Guardians over the what Angels. What a cute fella, dude. Do you have a cute fella score for me? Guardians over the Angels, 5-3. to 3. Cute fella. Uh, beat the Washington Nationals 6-2. to two. White Sox circling the drain. They got shut out by the lowly Rockies 3-0. They have a huge game tonight 
when they take on the Guardians in a makeup game. Uh, that could very well decide their if they're even in the playoff hunt anymore. And so still we'll no word on Tony La Russa, correct? No, Tony La Russa has been away from the team. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on there, but the the team's still circling the drain postseason-wise. I can't even imagine being a White Sox fan this year. Are you saying, it's be one are you saying they're circling the seasons. drain because they're literally circling the drain or because you're a Cubs fan with a bias? No, I, I don't. I don't hate the White Sox like a lot of Cubs fans. I don't mind them. I, I only just don't root for them when they play the Cubs. Other than that, they're not really top of mind, but I've just my dad's a White Sox fan and I've watched him all season. He's like, This is the most frustrated season season I've been a part of. So what you're time. saying is what 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 is like the the White Sox season going into it was anticipated to be like a fine good top of the right? AL Central in the contention for a World Series. And and they've been doing whippets. And they ended up bringing cheese whiz to the party right yeah they i mean they, they, they weren't going on any hot streaks they've had just amazing defensive lapses all season long base running mistakes and everything like that and teams that they should be beating they're not beating and now they're like five four or five back of the guardians in the al what Central. is your favorite cheese favorite cheese yeah. i'm not a cheese guy i mean i i am but i'm not like oh give me the gouda no i'm just like <laughs> I, probably it's probably something stupid it's probably like you um, go to a burger um, bar and they've got American the cheeses cheese. that you can put Provolone. on there. Provolone. I don't really? know. I don't oh, know. Man. I got it. American as, as cheese, a, mozzarella. As a cheese, I'm a very, I'm a cheese dork. Here. Munster is clearly, I think, the superior What's cheese. That? Munster. Okay. May, maybe you Hoosier folk don't have it, but up in Pennsylvania, Munster is the superior cheese. Now, does that when you put that on, does it go dun 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 dun? I've had Munster, and I don't think I was that big of a fan. I was a kid though, so I don't know. Swiss. Swiss. All day. All day, which is weird because people ask me my favorite cheese and and I feel like I'm neutral. Do they give that? Do you like? Do you get a <laughs> discount with Swiss because it's got all the holes in it? You should, shouldn't you? Yeah, I'm missing some stuff here. Uh, we come back. Colts now getting set for the Jacksonville Jaguars. What are they saying in terms of returning to the house of horrors from a year ago? That and we had mentioned. I should probably mention it now. Actually. The big change taking place downtown. If you were driving around downtown, you saw it on Lucas Oil Stadium. Thanks for the memories. The banner of T.Y. Hilton, which would lead you to believe that that is the Colts officially declaring without officially saying it, that T.Y. Hilton's time as an Indianapolis Colt has come to an end. The banner above it with the proverbial thanks for the memories, meaning that's probably it. But That's what it sounds like. There are those who have recently left the Colts that clearly still have their eye on staying around. We'll explain what we mean by that. We return on a Thursday. Good morning to you. Kevin and Query, 93.5, The Fan. Do you ever, just once, just once, I want to hear a coach, I'm not saying for the Colts, anywhere, say, you know, I mean, the guy's a jackass. We have major questions about his character. Um, but he can play. And so that, that you know, when it comes down to it, we needed a guy that can play. And, um, yeah, his neighbors hate him. And the mailman says that his mailbox is usually, uh, you know, hard to even get in. But, listen, he can play. And that's that's the most important. We're not we're not hiring him, guys. <laughs> we're not hiring him to mow his lawn. We're hiring him to come in here and play football. Wouldn't that be great? He's a bad seed. He's a cancer to this locker room. But, <laughs> damn it, if that guy can't run. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to be around him. He doesn't play. He, he does not play in any of the reindeer games. But he's got a four one forty. Oh boy, yeah that 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 would be something. Wouldn't that, that be awesome? That'd be an all time. If you could really say. truthfully get like truth serum, no sound bite cliches out of coaches, 
and athletes at all times, wouldn't it be awesome? It would be awesome. There should be like a rule. Like, like every, there are guys that- I can tell you in on both sides of the coin. There are guys I think that people assume were like a total distraction within the roster and in the locker room that the rest of the team loved. And there are guys that we assumed that the team loved that the rest of the locker room rolled their eyes. I mean, yeah, I mean, you hear that all the time. You're like, that's a bad dude. You're like, really? Seems so nice. Like, nope, not a good dude. Like, right. Oh, all right. Interesting. Brett Favre. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other can of worms right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so the Colts turning the page from Rodrigo Blankenship. They're also turning the page from the Texans to the Jaguars. Frank Reich talked about the message heading into Jacksonville after last season's snafu and their tie with the Houston Texans on Sunday. What's the mindset heading into Sunday at Jacksonville? It's a home division game for them. Yes, no, It, regardless of what happened right. in week one, this was going to be a home division game mm-hmm. for them, which is what is so stinking great. That's right? what's great about it. Stinking great. Yeah. Not I, just great, stinking great. Right? Yeah. I mean, they better get off. The, I, I really hope they understand the pressure around the situation and they actually play up to they play up to what their standards should be and they don't play down to their competition like they did on Sunday. Because if they play down Mark, to their competition again, I can only imagine what could happen on Sunday. I realize I could hit the play button on this from uh-huh. the, from probably a snippet from yesterday. And I realize that if we want to take 90 seconds off tomorrow, Sam could record this and we'll play it again tomorrow because I'll probably say the same thing. But I'm telling you, if the Colts, by by being winless still, and I know they tied, right? Even if they had won that game in Houston – even if they'd won that game, this weekend is still circled in maroon, magenta, burnt sienna, you name the color out of the Crayola 64. It might be circled in blood for all we know. Correct. Like I don't Sideshow think. Bob situation. Listen, I don't think, for those of you that are Colts fans listening to this that are wondering, admittedly, open disclaimer, I was not, the other media members in this town were not sitting next to Jim Irsay in Jacksonville during that game to end the season last year. We were not. But, obviously, with your credential comes access, with access comes relationships, with relationships comes trust, etc. You're told and recounted things. Jim Irsay's been the owner of the Colts for a long time. His family, his entire life. There have been disappointments, there have been heartache, there have been gut punches. I don't know that there is a loss that he has taken more personally as an indictment on, like, a failure that he saw as an automatic slam dunk like that game in Jacksonville. And I think that he took it as an immediate disrespect to him as the owner. And that game, Jacksonville, last year, absolutely has lit a fire in him, Not that, and he's a great owner, and he's a competitive guy, and he knows football. He's everything you'd want an owner, quite frankly. But that has lit in him a fire that, that borders on crossing over into, like, obsession in terms of that Jacksonville game. And if I'm Frank Reich, 
certainly if I'm Matt Ryan and knows that Matt Ryan ain't going to get cut, don't get me wrong. But they had their scapegoat. Jim Mercer had his scapegoat. They went down. They laid an egg. They got booted out of the playoffs. It was a colossal, massive disappointment that led to Jim Mercer standing in front of his jet with the dryers going off and the engines blowing and talking about all chips in and everything else and everything that built up to it to that point. He absolutely said to himself, I will be damned if we get embarrassed like this again. And I'm telling you right now, regardless of what happened in week one against Houston, it's magnified because they didn't win. But Frank Reich absolutely knows, that roster absolutely knows, that organization absolutely knows, and that building on West 56th Street absolutely knows, regardless of what they say differently, this one is different. Yeah. It is absolutely different, and a ton rests on it. Is anybody going to get fired if they lose? No, that is not going to happen. But it is going to be real tense. The good news is it's week two. But I'm telling you, this could set a really nasty tone for the Colts if they go out there and lay another egg. Frank Reich says they're dialed in. He also said he could walk in and out of the the conference room with the team, didn't have to say a word because they know the significance of this game. Not only is it a division game, but they know what happened last year and the pressure that's on there. So we'll see what happens. Are you optimistic heading into the game against the Jaguars? 239-1070. Got some callers on the line we'll get to on the other side. He's Jake Query. I'm Mark Dykton. In for Kevin Bowen. It's Kevin and Query, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. You are listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. By the way, when, so when I was a kid, I really thought that the leads that Deborah, Deborah Harry, and I realized Blondie is named for her, but like I didn't know that it was a band. You thought it was just a person? Yeah, I thought I Blondie too. was just like Madonna. Yeah. It, it is just one person, though, you know? Like, even though it's not the name, like, Blondie just is her. No, I I get it, but I mean it's a, it, Blondie is the name of the band, right? Yeah, yeah, it's not her name, but right, yeah. And so I just I thought literally it was just a solo performer, and Blondie was hurt, like you know what I mean? Oh, that's Blondie. No, that's Deborah Harry. She's with the band Blondie. Right. Uh, Eight o'clock hour underway. By the way, Zach Kiefer going to join us an hour from now. We'll talk plenty of Colts with him. Also, Dustin uh, Dopirak. I I have a mental hurdle with his last. You name, do you know? every single time. Dopirak. I, I think it's Dopirak. It's not. Dopirak? Yeah, Dopirak. I, as somebody whose last name is Query, I'm very sensitive to the mispronunciation of last names. Talk to, talk to uh, me. My name's Dykton. We should, I'll, I'll just call him Dustin D. How's that? That works. Sounds like a beastie boy. Yeah. Uh, he's going to join us coming up at 8.30. We'll talk a little college football shift away from the Colts. But the Colts and Jaguars, whoever would think that Jacksonville would be a big game. But it has been, over the course of the years even, of course, a place that... Indianapolis has just struggled, and there have been, I just said, of course, twice in one sentence, there have been numerous years where it has stuck out as like this thorn, whether it was some of their best teams that struggled and that's what fueled them, or some of the times when they've gone down and you thought, well, this is an automatic, or like last year where there was just no way. I mean, if you think about it, Kevin Bowen said, if you want to know the power of the Jacksonville Jaguars, if you want to know the karma of the football gods, think about the fact that in week 17 a year ago, or a season ago, Kevin Bowen sat right here on this radio station and said aloud to anybody that could hear it, he said, if the Colts lose this game, 
I will change diapers. What did he say for a for solid a year. for a year? Mm-hmm. One year later, the Colts are going to Jacksonville, and Kevin Bowen is not on the radio because he is on paternity leave, staying home to change diapers. The karma and the power of the NFL and the Jacksonville Jaguars, that's, I'm telling you. Gave gave Kevin a second child to change diapers with. But I'm telling you right now, you cannot overestimate. Yes, it is just one game, but last year in Jacksonville, it was not. And Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Jacksonville has been resonating inside West 56th Street ever since. Everything they've done, all chips in, all of that, all of it is rooted and motivated by what happened with the colossal collapse last year in Jacksonville. 239-1070 is the telephone number. Blake is going to join us. Blake, good Thursday morning to you. How are you? Hey, doing well. How about yourself? Doing fine, thanks. Hey, Blake, good. I'm yeah, tired. So. Can you tell by listening this morning that I'm tired, or do I sound like my normal self? Hey, sound like your normal self, man. Sounding good. Sounding good for <laughs> usual. Hey, you just wanted a compliment. Blake's my agent. I love it. Yeah. I'm your hype, man. I got you, man. <laughs> Thank you. All right, what's up? Yeah, so got to admit, after after watching week one, you know, I think Rodrigo was, you know, an easy person to blame for the loss of the two kicks out of bounds and the field goal, but – and then people, you know, I've heard people blame him. Ballard, but I think the big issue is Frank Reich's play calling. I think Frank isn't a bad coach. I just think the play has been a little rough. I think he's got the easiest job in the world winning out and the ball off at number 28. Just what are thinking. You know, I know we've got Matt Brady as our offensive coordinator. I think it's his first year in the NFL. As an OC, just wanted to see what you guys thought on the play calling of the Colts. How confident are you heading into Sunday, Blake, by the way? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I'm very I think pessimistic going into it because the Frank Wright coach team, and I know we always start out slow. And I mean, just, I mean, even if you go back to the Andrew Luck area, we struggle in Jacksonville. So I'm not, I'm not too confident going into Sunday. Interesting, I Blake. To begin with, your first point, I think the Colts are kind of at a pickle because not a pickle is the wrong word, but I think they know that their bread and butter is Jonathan Taylor, right? We all know that. But what you want to do is get out to Leeds so that you then hand the game over to Jonathan Taylor to salt away. We saw last year against New England. You're handing the ball to Jonathan Taylor just to salt clock, and lo and behold, he rips off an 80-yard run. Now you're like, okay, now we got insurance. But the way that you do that is you've got to establish some pass in the beginning of the game, not only to preserve Jonathan Taylor, you know, for the late – because he does get better as the game goes on, but also to facilitate for him. Because if you if you can't get a pass game established, then they're going to load the box and you're going to see what's going to happen. Yes, he is still going to, to break runs from time to time. There's no doubt. But they've got to get him the presentation of a passing attack to obviously open things up. The other thing, too, that I think factored in, I mentioned it yesterday with Rodrigo Blankenship. I think part of the reason why they they made that move, and if you look at it, you know, they go out and they get two kickers that are known for having longer legs. I think part of that is because they realized late in the game against Houston, their only way to move the football was by handing it off and, and the the clock is getting away from them and they're running out of time. 
So they know that in late-game situations, if they've got to go down the field to try to score and get a field goal, they don't at this point have the established deep behind the, the receiver or behind the defense receivers to get big chunk yardage without compromising clock. And so it's harder for them to get within field goal range. And so they had to do whatever they could to to shorten the amount of you know, the amount of area they've got to take up to get it to get set up for a field goal. And you talked about the pressure to get the passing game going. Frank Reich mentioned that Alec Pierce, their draft pick from this year, uh, in the concussion protocol. His concussion-like symptoms coming out of the Texans games. He is in the concussion protocol, so his status for Sunday is very much up in the air. We'll see what happens there. That means there more, there's more pressure on Paris Campbell, Ashton more pressure on Michael Pittman, more pressure on Ashton Doolin. Uh, listen, Michael Pittman, the one thing I will say is, is that Michael Pittman is the guy. Oh, yeah. Like Michael Pittman has shown, kudos to Michael Pittman, that guy is, I'm prepared to say it now. Like, we have enough body work to know, yes, he can be a number one, but he is a reliable big target, like, no issue there. The question is then, who do you parlay off of that to get behind a defense, get the deep ball? It's got to be Paris Campbell or Alec Pierce or Ashton Doolin. Doolin did have his moments, but again, you need consistency. Yeah, that's the only thing is because if Michael Pittman is getting double teamed or the defense is keying in on him, one of those other guys has to step up. We haven't seen that so far. JP, what's up? So I uh, I have NFL ticket, and I had a chance to look at the Jacksonville Commanders game last weekend. And I'm telling you, anyone who thinks that we're going to go down there and just, you know, like Kevin Bowen said last year, that we're going to take Jacksonville out is Sorely mistaken. I'm telling you, they are vastly improved, just like the Houston Texans. Um, especially, I'm telling you what, Jake and Mark, the offensive line better stiffen up because their pass rush, especially with the first uh, pick in the draft, they're coming after Matt Ryan. And it's not going to be easy for Matt Ryan to escape the pass rush. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm just worried that we're going to go all one and one and we better bring our A game to uh, to Jacksonville. Now, uh, JP, uh, listen, you make great points, and I appreciate it because you're right. They have invested, Jacksonville has, in that defensive rush in particular. Stephen Holder talked about it yesterday. My question for you, JP, having watched them, and I realize you probably weren't just glued to your set, but you're looking in and out at, at the Washington-Jacksonville game. The question is, how did they look offensively? You know, did they did they look at all more competent offensively than they were a year ago? I think so. I think uh, Trevor Lawrence looked uh, looked good. I mean, and then this this guy Robinson, who's their catcher, was was awesome. So I think they're adequate, but I think the defense has really uh, has really stepped up here. So I think we, you know we have a tough uh, tough game here coming up, and we got to get our A game. I mean, we're not going to walk in there. We're, it's going to go down to the fourth quarter. Now I'm curious. By the way, is JP? Is that your first and last name initials, or is that is your first name literally JP? Uh, no, my first and last name initials. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, like my buddy Justin Powers went by JP. Listen, that's a great call, man. I appreciate it, and have a great day. Okay. Uh, it's good points, man. Yeah. Especially talking about that pass rush. Well, James Robinson also a very good running back. They've JR. Also got, 
What? Oh, you want to do the nicknames? Well, then well if we're going to go from you got JP. T.E., Travis Etienne, that's, well, you got saying, him. You got JP calling in about JR, and I'm JQ. I mean, it all works that's out, true. right? It all makes sense. And then Christian Kirk, a wide receiver they paid, paid big money for well, in free we're agency. We're sticking with Jace, Mark. Okay, CK, I'll go that way. <laughs> Had six catches, <laughs> okay. 117 yards there. So they've you know, got you'd some be, they got You'd some be a weapons. doctor. Did you ever think about that? I could. I know. I had the initials. Right. Yeah. I'm kind of a dummy, though, so. I think this gets removed. That's my spleen, <laughs> sir. What 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 was your GPA? Oh jeez, I don't know. Three something maybe. Really? That's not bad. It's not great. It wasn't good. I can tell you, first first year, I was in the J, I was in the JQ category. You want to see what I'm pulling right now, or you want to see my cumulative? I whatever you will feel more confident in sharing. My cumulative, I will tell you this: I was not in great shape. I've done well since the return. Matter of fact, I'd have to up three eight, maybe. But that's having nil. That's, solid. that's not having a great effect on my cumulative. <laughs> yeah, the Colts should not feel overly confident heading into Jacksonville. The streak is still alive. They have not won there since 2014. Seven straight losses in Jacksonville. So let's see if they can finally snap that streak. I thought that streak wouldn't have snapped a long time ago. Adam is on the line. Adam, what's up this morning? Adam, you there? Good morning. The there one thing. Yeah, I'm here. Can you, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I go got ahead. you. All right. Yeah, the one question I had, and it's a little bit of a transition from the Jaguars, but what, what whatever happened with Badgley from last year? You know, did we just let him go because Hot Rod was was coming back after the year, or, or what was the reason why we released him, and why did we keep him into training camp and have that be a competition for this year? And then the other piece is with Mike Strawn. I thought I had had a great game on Sunday. Do you think that his reps are going to increase? Uh, maybe step into that role with at the same point as Doolin to get get those other reps after Campbell and Pittman. Okay, first question I will say we'll start with this, Adam, in terms of Badgley. Have you ever gone to Vegas or been in a casino and played roulette? I've never played roulette in a casino, but I've played it at someone's house. Okay, before. so same thing, right? So when you're playing roulette, you as you're spinning the wheel and like you, you get on kind of a hot streak and you're like, Oh my gosh, it's landed like on odd five times in a row or I've called it right five times. So you stay at the table, right? You're like, I'm going to ride this out. And then all of a sudden, instead of getting five in a row, you know, where you drilled it, you miss one here, you miss one there and you start losing your confidence a little bit. That's what happened with Badgley. I thought Badgley played really well for them. I agree with you, Adam. I think it's a good point, but I think, when you look at last year, he was great on extra points. He was really good on field goals. But because he was just a fill-in until Hot Rod got healthy again, once he missed a few kicks, I think the Colts felt like with Badgley that their time at the wheel, the, the roulette wheel had come up, and the law of averages was starting to factor in too much to where it was a risk. So they went back with what was comfortable and what they knew. They did bring him in, though, Tuesday. He did work out for them Tuesday, and they watched him uh, with a tryout, and then that's when they ended up going with the two that they selected over him. So they did call him. He was available. And I agree with you. I thought he played really well uh, last year. And, and I was a little surprised that that wasn't, like, the first thing they went to. But they did they did bring him back. In terms of Mike Strawn, uh, agreed. I mean, this is a guy that last year I thought was going to be a contributor before he, you know, at the beginning of the season, I'm like, look, he looks like a guy that is, that is ready to become part of the rotation. Obviously, that didn't pan out for last year, but the reality is, Mark, he has shown glimpses that if, for example, Alec Pierce is not able to go, I do think Mike Strawn is one 
that will have opportunity certainly to show what he can do. Yeah, and he's definitely a guy that the Jaguars definitely probably don't have as much tape on as they do with a Doolin or a Paris Campbell. So he that could bode well in his favor. He They will need all their bodies, though, if Alex, Alec Pierce is out of that game. Badgley, by the way, with the Colts, was 18 of 21 for field goals, a perfect 39 of 39 when it comes to extra points. He was with the Jaguars in training camp, but he got later waived down to final roster cuts. So we'll see what happens with Doolin, with Paris Campbell, with Alec Pierce's status heading into Sunday. Bill is on the line, wants to talk wide receivers. Bill, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Yeah, I, uh, I think that the loss last year in Jacksonville at the end of the year was the biggest upset since Cornwallis lost the Battle of Yorktown in 1778. <laughs> That's a solid history, historical <laughs> reference right there. There there are a few upsets in the meantime since then, right? But that was the biggest? I think so. <laughs> I think so. That's a good perspective. But I want to I want to talk a little bit about the wide receivers. I I'm not about to abandon these guys or anything or think that they have no potential because we got Reggie Wayne as the coach. I mean, give this guy this guy's a brand new coach. He was I guess he was a consultant for a for maybe a year or two, but he's now got a chance to work with these guys and prove improve his worth. And let's make no mistake about it, they give it to Frank. They might make Reggie Wayne the coach. And why wouldn't they? We have a, you know, we have it. The Colts have a history of promoting from within. So I think that, uh, uh, I think it's going to be very, very, very crucial that, uh, that, that Reggie develops these guys and his, his career looking forward, it sky's the limit. On the other hand, somebody that doesn't have a, uh, a future and the sky's not the limit is Brett Favre. And if he indeed embezzled funds from the welfare fund in Mississippi, the poorest state in the country, to build a volleyball court for his daughter, then lock him up and put him in the hall of shame. You know, it's interesting, Bill. Um, I was in a couple of years ago, and I had mentioned this yesterday. Well, about 15 years ago, as a matter of fact, I think it was after I had left WIBC. I was in between jobs. It was the winter time, and I'm like, you know what? I want to get out of the cold. What can I do for a week to get out of the cold? So I signed up. I always wanted to do Habitat for Humanity. So I signed up for Habitat for Humanity, but I looked online at warm weather climates where I could do it, and I signed up for Habitat for Humanity for 10 days in Mississippi, Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. And so I drove down. I stayed, like, basically in, like, a barracks, if you will, for the volunteers, and when I was driving down, I stopped. The, the town next to Bay St. Louis is the Kiln, Mississippi. And I pulled into the stop sign in the Kiln. It's literally called The Kiln. And there, there was one stop sign. And in the stop sign, there's a gas station called Dolly's where they served fried chicken. And painted on the outside of Dolly's was a Southern Miss helmet, a Vikings helmet, a Packers helmet. And I'm like, what in the world? So I asked him, he's like, yeah, this is Brett Favre's hometown. Mm. So this little guy that looked like Yosemite Sam came walking up to me and said, you give me Brad Brooks boat? And I said, excuse me? And he said, you give me Brad Brooks boat? I said, you want me to give you a ride to the broke spoke? Yep, give me Brad Brooks boat. And I said, sure, yeah, I'll give you a ride. And the broke spoke is the bar. That's surprising. That is on the opposite end of the parking lot from Dolly's. Mm -hmm. It's literally 
30 yards away. So this guy gets in my car. We drive across the parking lot, and he gets out, and we go inside the bar because I said, I'll go in the bar. And they said, well, you know, that's Webster Favre. That's Brett's cousin. The majority of the town are either people related to Brett Favre or, I mean, it's very small town and extremely impoverished. His high school is near there. And I had this great appreciation for where he had come from. The The second day that I was there, my car got stuck in the mud. And these two guys pulled up to pull me out before I could even get out of my... I mean, I had a Jeep Grand Cherokee. It was sinking in the mud. These two guys came up, got a chain, pulled my, my Jeep chair, you know, pulled me out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what can I pay you guys? Pay us. They looked at me like I was crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, let me, let me buy you a beer, a burger, or something. I mean, you uh-huh. just completely saved me here. And they said, no, all you got to do is go down here and go to the right and go to Jackson Street and see Randy, you know, whatever, or, you know, Michael or whatever. He'll, he'll, he'll fix your car for you because you're going to have rocks in your wheel basin. All of the street names were the names of whoever lived on that street. So like every other street's a Favre Street. All of the street signs were wooden plank street signs. So I go to this guy's house, and he repa- he he takes my wheel basins off. He he sands down and waxes my brake rotors. He everything for out, two hours, totally cleans out my car. Get done, and I'm like, man, what do I owe you? He's like, what do you owe me? I'm like, yeah, and he's like, son, you need to understand something. I go, okay, and he goes, you're down here helping us rebuild after that storm. This was like seven years after Katrina, and he goes. There's nobody in this town that's going to take your dollar for anything. Wow. And I went to the Brokes boat the second night, third night, something like that. And they're like, you're the guy that gave Webster a ride. You get a free cheeseburger and a free Budweiser and a free Diet Coke every night you're here. Wow. The nicest, kindest people ever. Ever. And I had a tremendous appreciation for Brett Favre's background and where he came from. And I would like to think that Brett Favre, in terms of this allegation that he conspired with political officials in the state of Missouri to misappropriate money that had been set aside for welfare to help build at Southern Miss, I'd like to think that that comes from some sort of naivete from the simplicity of his background. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think it probably is that he has been enabled so much because I saw how revered he is in that area. But I will say... As gross as that story is about Brett Favre being involved in this horrendous allegation, to me, I will admit to you, Mark, personally, it resonates to me almost even more so because I will always have this feeling of kinship and empathy for the people of Kiln and Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, because they were the poorest but kindest people I've ever seen. I've never seen a marriage more so between poverty but yet caring selflessness than I did in that area. So you see the people that are probably getting hurt the most by Correct. this story and you see how Correct. much they could use it. Correct. As opposed to a guy like Brett And Farr. that that part of it, you know, and the other thing that I remember in the, the house that we were building for the Habitat for Humanity, the guy that was going to ultimately live in it, the last day that we were building this house, this guy showed up with paint. And we're like, oh, okay, we're going to paint it now. And he's like, no, 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 I'm going to paint it. And he was the owner. 
And he was like, I want to make sure that the final touch on this house is is done by me because you guys have worked so hard. And this guy was so appreciative and so, I mean, it was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. And, and the reason it was such an amazing experience is because I went down there thinking to myself like, oh, I'm going to go down and give to these, you know, and, and mostly I just wanted to get in warm weather. And it, what they gave me, can I can never emphasize it enough. And that was all in the Kiln and Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. And so if Brett Favre did something, as much as those people love and cherish and admire and respect and look up to him, if he used that celebrity to take advantage and take away from those people who have never asked for anything, then to hell with him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Period. that way too. It's one of those stories where you're hoping it's not true, but it's it's looking the other way so we'll we'll get more into that later we'll talk more colds we got dustin depirak talk a little college football coming up next real quick it's time for a morning check down the morning check down brought to you by ball state football get your tickets at ballstatesports.com Omaha. on 93.5 and 107.5 the fan Baseball news going on. Uh, we saw some history being made in with the Cardinals yesterday. Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina becoming the longest-running battery mates together. The Cardinals got the 4-1 win over the Milwaukee Brewers. Cubs sweep the Mets in surprising fashion. 6-3 win there. Pirates trounce the Reds 10-4. Uh, Guardians over the Angels 5-3. White Sox get blanked by the lowly Rockies 3-0. The Guardians and White Sox play a very key makeup game today. We'll see what happens there. Cute fella, as Jake likes to call them. The Orioles beat the Nationals 6-2. And the Toledo Mudhens edge the Indianapolis Indians 4-3. Uh, college football slate coming up this weekend, by the way. Ball State hosting Murray State, 2 o'clock. Great chance to go on up, watch a little college football in Muncie. Also, Indiana hosting Western Kentucky at noon. It is Purdue at Syracuse. That's kind of a tricky game for the Boilers at noon. Notre Dame hosting the Golden Bears of Cal at 2 30. Uh, do you know, by the way, Mark Dykton, are you yes. ready for this? Do you know the University of California? Uh-huh. I know of it, yes. Do you know that they have had more quarterbacks start Super Bowls than any other school in Division One college football? Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Isn't that fascinating? That is interesting. You I, again, educate be... and entertain. That's what we try to do <laughs> Monday through Friday, 7 to 10. Uh, Cal and Notre Dame, 2.30 on Saturday. Speaking of the college football slate, we're going to talk that next, right? Yep. Dustin Apirak up next. We'll talk about... Hoosiers, maybe spray a little fields to the uh, Purdue Boilermakers and Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Dustin Apirak up next. Kevin and Query, 93.5-1075, The Fan. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Good Thursday morning. It's Mark Dykton in for Kevin Bone, who's on paternity leave. He's winding that down. He'll be back on Monday. Jake Query here as well. Sam Fritz on the producer board. Right now, it's time to turn to the phone lines he is the writer for the Indianapolis Star and Bloomington Herald Times. Indiana, Indiana Athletics beat writer Dustin DePirac joins us. Dustin, good morning to you. How are you doing this morning? Doing well. Thanks so much for having me. All right, so the Hoosiers off to a 2-0 and start. They take on Western Kentucky this weekend. Have expectations been elevated since the Hoosiers got off to this hot start? Originally, I think the over-under was four and a half wins on the season. Uh, have the expectations changed in Bloomington? Uh, moderately. I mean, the Illinois one was really important uh, for them to go out and get that one. Basically, they were able to beat somebody, um, and and obviously win a Big Ten game, which they hadn't done since you know since 2020, since Indiana. Uh, 
Um, so I would say that they're mildly elevated, but uh, not really. I mean, I think uh, the IU fan base was really disappointed by the fact that they fell, fell behind 10 nothing to Idaho. Uh, and I think there were some elements and reasons for that, but all the same. I mean, they were, they were down 10 nothing to an FCS program uh, at halftime. And, uh, you know, it's obviously better that they came out and scored five touchdowns in a row uh, to start the second half and put that game away. But um, still obvious, obvious concerns. I don't think anybody's looking at Indiana and seeing, oh, man, they're – they, they might be back to 20, you know, to their 2020 form. Um, I think the question is, you know, can they eke out six wins? Uh, I think that's, that's kind of the question. I think it seems more realistic now than it did when the season started, but only by so much. And I, I think that they're still on the rate on the raises edge with that. I don't think anybody looks at this team and says, well, they might be Michigan or anything like that uh, at this point. So that's, um, you know, they're somewhat elevated, but not much. And I would definitely say that, that, that you know, Indiana fans were running for the, the exits at, you know, at halftime um, when they were down to Idaho. And obviously, just, I mean, it matters a lot. They, they rallied back, but still, it's only so encouraging to, to beat a, an FCS team. I, I look at, here's the thing. I look at their schedule, and I just, I try to find out where the wins come from. Like, mm-hmm. initially, the over-under was four at the outset of the season, and you thought, well, that's really low. Then you look at the schedule, Dustin. That mm-hmm. side of the Big Ten is brutal, and if Indiana's going to fall back anywhere close to being Indiana, they're in a world of hurt, right? Like, they've got, they have got they could not have afforded to lose the Idaho game, for example. Oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, God, no. For, for any reason, no. I mean, well, I mean, Illinois was major. Just beating Illinois was a big, big deal, and then obviously that was a tough thing to – you know, have that game, you know, first up. But I mean, that, there's a reason why Tom Allen was so excited about it, just to to, to win a win. You know, like it, it was a winnable game, but I mean, you, you knew it was going to be tight. You knew it was going to be close. They could obviously go the other way, and and there's just no margin for error. I mean, to your point, I mean, I think there are, you know, six games that you would say are 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 potentially winnable, and the others, you know, you got Western Kentucky this weekend, and then you know down the line you've got. Uh, Nebraska, Maryland, and Rutgers. What's and been? Like, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to say I mean, none. None of those are locks at all. They could lose every single one of those games. Uh, you know, they could lose Saturday to Western Kentucky. There's no doubt about it. Um, but at least that those are those are games that you can envision them winning. Um, everything else is asking a lot. You know, going to Cincinnati and beating them, even as much talent as Cincinnati lost over the offseason with Ritter and Gardner and all those guys, that's still that's still asking a lot. And beating Purdue at the end of the year is asking a lot. I mean, Purdue could be in, in contention for the Big Ten West at that point. So, you know, like it, it's going to be really hard to get uh, get any wins. And the, those those games on the schedule, the ones that I would circle would be, again, Western Kentucky this weekend, uh, Nebraska October 1st, uh, Maryland, I think, the 15th, and Rutgers the 22nd. I mean, like – they and or, yeah, and Nebraska October October first. I don't think I mentioned, but they've got to win all those. I mean, they've got to win all those because I think those those are where the wins come from. Other than that, you're you're asking for a pretty sizable upset, and so those are the six you need to get if you you want to get in bull contention. It's Dustin Napierak on with us on Kevin and Corey on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Dustin, what's been your assessment of Connor Bazelik through two games so far? You know, he's all right. <laughs> he's not spectacular, but he's okay. I mean, I think uh, you know I, he does. I think fit you know the mold that uh no, not, not such much the mold is the description um that uh as coaches and players have given him I, mean, I think he's he's reasonably talented there are a few things he does really well I mean, i think the what one thing i keep hearing um that i find interesting is that them, them saying he throws a catchable ball which is a, an interesting compliment 
Um, but I get it. I mean, he, he generally he's not trying to show off there. He puts the ball where it's supposed to be, mostly. I mean, when, when he's trying to hit a receiver, he puts it. You know, he changes tempo. Um, he throws it only as hard as he needs to, and but he throws it to you know sort of help his receivers out. Uh, but he can he can be off, and I and I think he was definitely affected by the elements on Saturday. Um, you know, maybe more than than you want to see a guy that that has that much experience. Um, you know, playing in, in the Midwest at the end of the day, I mean, he, he was in the SEC, he was playing at Missouri. Um, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're going to get, you know, you're going to play some games in the elements there. And uh, they just, I mean, they were just sort of a mess on a wet track. Uh, you know, he, he was missing, I think really, you know, makeable passes. Um, Cause I don't think he had a great grip on the football. Um, and, and that's, I think an issue. So from, from time to time, he doesn't make uh, the best decisions, but you know, when he's got a rhythm, um, he, he can be really sharp. And obviously I think it, it, I thought it was interesting and I think important that in that game one against Illinois, he had already kind of identified who his playmakers were that he you know knew who to go to in that last two minute drill, uh, getting Cam Camper and DJ Matthews involved to kind of already, you know, figured out these are the guys I really trust to make, make uh, big plays in big games. And, 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 you know, I thought that was interesting because DJ Matthews had only played three games uh, at Indiana before the season. And Cam Campbell was new and Connor Bayslide was new, but, you know, through the course of uh, this off season, it developed a good enough chemistry with those guys to know, okay, you know, these are my guys, these are the ones I can trust. And, you know, when we got to make plays in two minutes and I, you know, there's no time to think this is where the ball goes. Um, so I, I, so I think there's, there's, you know, it's a mixed bag, but I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, I, I think he's generally on the right side of it. Obviously, he's won two games. He's thrown for enough. He's come through in, in, in some big moments. Um, so, you know, I, I think they probably made the right call as far as uh, who they picked the quarterback. I think he's good enough to win them games. He's good enough to win them six. Obviously, we'll see. Dustin, when you switching gears from Indiana to Purdue, and I know that Indiana is kind of the epicenter of your focus, but you do cover college athletics across the board. To me, this is a really intriguing matchup for Purdue this weekend because Syracuse is kind of the Purdue of their league, right? I mean, they're I think maybe people look at it and they go, "Yeah, it's not a huge football school, but they're they are not bad. They they simply play well at home. It's a unique environment." Um, I kind of like this matchup for Purdue. I, I think it's a good test for them, but is it a test that might be more than they did they bite off more maybe than they could chew here? Oh, uh, yeah, they might have. I mean, uh, you know, Syracuse, I think it's been impressive so far. I, I think Syracuse, it's been interesting, obviously, for them to, um, you know, just sort of find their, you know, role in the ACC, I, I, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know as much as um, really you know, I, you know, more, more. I think in basketball, they've obviously had more moments. Um, where you're saying, okay, no, no, it, it, like they're they're an ACC power now, but they've obviously faded, you know, and, and like gone back and forth with that. Um, but football, it doesn't seem like they've ever sort of gotten up. Definitely the point that you know the, the higher points that they hit, uh, you know, back in you know when they were in the Big East, and they were sort of a, a more you know viable power, I think, in that conference. They're, they're still kind of waiting to get their sort of moment like that in the ACC. But they're starting off good, you know, with, with this season so far. Obviously, they they beat up on Louisville, they beat up on UConn. Um, you know, like Garrett Schrader looks pretty good. Their quarterback, he's thrown for 528, five touchdowns, no interceptions so far. So that's a good start. Uh, you know, Sean Tucker, the running back, I think is, is, you know, he's over 200 yards so far. So they got some offensive weapons. They've, they've done pretty well on defense. It is definitely a test, I think, for both of them to see, okay, you know, which, uh, which one of these teams is more legitimate. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's significant. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's certainly possible for Purdue to lose this game, but I think, you know, I, I, yeah, they can, um, you know, they, they can take some hits in, in non-conference and be okay. Um, as far as I think their pursuits, cause I think, 
you know, on the flip side, that side of the Big Ten is, you know, a, a lot more doable. Um, but it's going to be, I think, very interesting for them to go on the road, play in the Carrier Dome, you know, uh, has a chance. It, it's got a chance to be a very interesting football game, I think. Uh, and, and again, it's certainly a game they can lose, but it's certainly a game they can win as well. I mean, I think they, they showed some, you know, really good things, especially against Penn State. Um, you know, the, they've got some issues as far as running the football um, and, and, and not being able to trust that and run out the clock. Obviously, that Penn State game, if they were able to do that, they win it. Um, but again, you know, they, they've got playmakers, you know, the O'Connell to Charlie Jones connection, I think just gives them a shot uh, against just about anybody. Um, and, you know, they've got other talented receivers they can go to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it is definitely a game they can lose, but I think that's a fun football game to watch on Saturday for sure. Do they, speaking of Purdue and sticking with that one last time, Dustin, have they adequately found a balance, maybe it's too early to know this, to replace the production of David Bell? Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think Bell's a better player than Jones. I mean, Bell, Bell, I think is special. Uh, well, there's good. no doubt, I mean, you know, but, but the one mm-hmm. thing about a guy like that is sometimes they're getting reps that are masking or, or not taking away from is the wrong word, but you don't realize that maybe spread out over two or three guys, you can make up for the numbers that are lost from him. But do they know yet whether they have that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, but I do think, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, if you look at this number, it's striking. I mean, Charlie Jones has 21 catches. Nobody else on that team has one six. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, and O'Connell went to Jones a lot uh, in that first game. But that's, I mean, I, I think he's a big, he was a big get, you know, he, he, like getting him transferred from Iowa. I mean, it's obviously like one of those deals where it's, you know, better for both sides. You know, Jones is in a position where he's going to get used a lot more and, you know, probably a lot better. Um, but I mean, there's a, a, other pieces, obviously, Marshawn Rice, Ty, Tyrone Tracy, you know, start, certainly got a, a very usable tight end, Payne Durham, TJ Sheffield. They, they've got guys to spread it out too, but they still have a, you know, marquee guy at the top of the list, you know, somebody that uh, O'Connell trusts more than everybody else uh, in Jones. And they, they, Jones doesn't, I mean, I don't think he has Bell's size, uh, but he, he's a guy that gets open. You know, I mean, just I mean, just so many times uh, when they needed to make a play uh, in that Penn State game, O'Connell found Jones. I mean, just over and over and over again uh, when when he needed, you know, just somebody to find him. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, 12 catches against Penn State, nine catches against Indiana State. I mean, they, they've got a guy that they can find when they need him. Um, so they're they're close. I, mean, I just think Bell was at, at a different level. Um, but still having a guy, you know, O'Connell has a connection with Jones. It goes back, obviously, before you know, long before Purdue and, and that matters and that, that chemistry matters. So, so there's just, there's definitely value there. I have, I have a hard time saying that they're in a better receiver position than they were with David Bell. Um, but they've got a guy that they can trust a lot. Um, and so, you know, obviously Syracuse is going to have to try to key in on him, but you know, Penn State knew he was coming too. And I'm sure Indiana State knew, knew he was coming and couldn't stop him. So, you know, we'll see if there's any adjustments that can be made, but they've, they've at least got one top line guy and I think some other, you know, interesting pieces down the line. And so the, they're in fine shape. They're, they're passing the game is in good shape I would say that I don't know if I'll compare it to what it's like when you have a, a marquee guy like David Bell but it's not far off Dustin Apirak of the Indianapolis Star and Bloomington Herald Times joining us on Kevin and Query. I want to circle back to IU uh, obviously a huge step back last season uh, from the first couple under Tom Allen's watch does it seem like the Tom Allen mystique is still there as they're off to a 2-0 start or did last season really take really take some shine off of that oh it took a lot of shine off of that for sure I mean I don't think yeah, there's no – mystique, I'd say, is something that is gone. I, I think it, it is clear after last year that, that the um, issues that afflict Indiana in general, just, just it being not a historically great program, um, you know, that, that there are just 
you know, limitations. And, and, I, and I say that the fact that, like, they've, they've put a ton of money into facilities over the last 10, 15 years. Um, they've invested a lot more in coaching. So I don't want to sit here and say, like, I know Indiana is, like, the weak, you know, like the weak sister in some financial way. And there's, there's hurdles that, are, that you can't possibly be, you know, asking anybody to overcome. But they're just, they're just used to losing. And basically when, when Indiana has a bad season, then all of a sudden it becomes hard to, to recruit again. I mean, he's done a fantastic job of recruiting and done a great job of, of, of keeping that 2022 class together. Um, you know, after you know they started losing, a lot of those guys were signed, you know, going into the season when they were top 25 program. Um, and he had to just hang on for dear life as they started losing games, but and still managed to pick up a couple pieces at the end um, in December that was kind of surprising. But, you know, they're, they're going to have a small class this year. And I say that to mean, you know, that's a lot of what mystique matters in is because you can you do you have that shine on you when you go out um, you know just into the world and and you know do they see you as something bigger than the yeah. Indiana football coach um, and so I, I do think that there's some mystique gone and certainly the fan base is a, a little bit annoyed obviously he's protected by a huge contract and what would be a massive buyout if you forced him out the door at this point um, but you know, I, I think he's still. I think he's still very much revered within the department because he's just a guy that people like. Because um, he's, you know, like he, he he's really really energetic, but it's also genuine. It's not fake. But here's the uh, thing, Dustin. Like let, but, let me yeah, tell you my concern for sure. him. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I want you to tell me. And I listen. Yeah. I, I have been a cynic about a lot of things over the course of my life. It doesn't always make for an easy night's sleep, right? Right. Yeah. Um, if a coach. If you have two coaches who have the exact same trajectory, the exact same results, the exact same whatever, but one of them ascended to his position based on like rah-rah kind of gimmick stuff, and I hate to say gimmick because I know it's genuine, the LEO and the running around and kicking trash cans and jumping into players' arms, I I get it. And that stuff is like a brush fire. At first, people just love it. They can't get enough of it. They can't quit watching it. But the second that things go south, of those two coaches we're talking about, if Coach 2 doesn't have those things, he gets a little bit longer leash because people just are paying less attention or maybe even have more patience. It's great to have those things help you ascend and have people buy in, but the second that the production falls off, then all of a sudden it grates on a fan base where especially for a fan base that that saw Tom Crean swigging you know energy drinks walking up and down the sidelines all the time i'm not saying either one of these guys is wrong but i'm saying that it kind of goes a long way and then once it runs out it really runs out and my fear for Tom Allen is that he is teetering on the area of the fan base being totally exhausted by the hijinks. I, where I would disagree. So, so yes, you, you, you're absolutely, you're absolutely like, uh, you know, touched off on a phenomenon is certainly true. Um, but, and, and, and so I think people that are removed from Tom Allen um, can see a lot of Tom Crean in there, but having been around both of them closely, there's a huge difference. And the thing about it is, is that, what Allen manages to do, partly because it's sincere, it's not manufactured. And even though he is a caffeinated guy, like he's not a caffeinated guy like Tom Crean's a caffeinated right. guy. Um, you know, like I hate to say that because I, I mean, I, I respect the guy and, and, and I think he thinks I don't respect him. So he might stumble across this and get mad at me. Um, but Crean can wear on people. 
in a, in a way that Alan does not. I mean, when I say the department, like just if you talk to people in the department, it's, you know, they love Tom Allen and Tom Cream wore them out because um, it was little stuff Tom Cream would make a big deal out of and like care. I mean, like there's, there's value in this, but like Cream cared about marketing a lot. Little stuff when it came like down to big heads. Like yeah, calling like, people at one o'clock in the morning asking what video they were going to run in the third halftime of the Wednesday game, stuff like that, right? Right. I mean, I don't, I, I can't confirm that that story specifically happened, but that's the sort of thing that you hear about so generally, if you will. Like, I'm not trying to like accuse that of it, but like that kind of stuff. Like, you know, yes, guys, people, people that worked for Kareem would hear from people, him at odd hours. They had a just wacky schedule. I mean, we didn't we didn't know what practice was going to be like in terms of like when we had press conferences, we didn't know what they were going to be when we woke up in the morning. We got calls at like nine um, to find out. Okay, come at eleven, he might be there by one. Like it was just sort of all over the place, and 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 so that that's not the case with Tom Allen. Like there's so like so, but I, I do think that's a part of it. That the hijinks, you know, when when that sort of more of how you know if if, if it's really scattered in terms of not just this, what you see on TV, but what you see every day, that wears on people. And that wears on people who have to decide whether you keep getting paid. Um, and, you know, when, when if, if you're an athletic director and you're looking around and you're wearing out everybody around you, um, you know, that's the issue, too. It's, it's, it's how you work in the company, you know, is part of the issue where I think, you know, Tom Allen doesn't have that sense. It's, it's more like, you know, basically everybody that's around Tom is sort of lifted up by what he does. Because, again, the, the fact that it's not fake really matters. And, like, there's really, you know, like, because you could look at him and say, okay, well, he's like small town preacher or whatever, but it's not because that's really real like and it's not a it's not a salesman thing at all um that i think is going to give him more um leeway but but ultimately though you got to win football games you know um and so like it's it, it, you know that that it, it's i think more important just to ingratiate yourself with the people around you that they'll take up for you longer um than as you know the the, the, the you know the uh, perception matters, but I think it, what, what will save him that didn't save Tom is that Tom Allen's made a lot of friends. You know, I, I think that that's the biggest thing is that Tom Allen's made a lot of friends, genuine people. I mean, I know I, I did a piece on Walt Bell, um, and you know, he was saying that he's one of the best two men I've ever been around in coaching football. And he said it's it's you you have a perception like there there is a perception around co- college coaching that he's a great guy. He says he's even better than I thought he was. And now obviously, you know, he's doing this knowing that I'm going to write this and this is public and whatever. But like, you know, I I I got the feeling that he was very very serious about that. And so you know, again again, he knows this is going to be printed. That's his boss, et cetera. Um, but I, I've never heard anything to the contrary. And so I, I think that that is going to help him a long way. Now, you can't stack two and tens um, and not be in trouble. You know, when, when it starts to go south in the recruiting trail, then it falls apart on you really. Think that's his bigger issue. I don't think – sorry, my dog has thoughts on this. Um, but, but yeah, that, that's – I'm less concerned. If, if I'm Tom Allen, I'm less concerned about his personality might do it to him. It's just does the recruiting trail hold up if you start stacking bad years? He's Dustin Napierak, catches latest in the Bloomington Herald Times and the Indianapolis Star. He's going to go take care of his dog. Everything as okay well. with the dog? Is everything okay? Yeah, she's fine. She makes noise over absolutely everything. What's the there dog's name? One person outside, Maxine. Maxine. Hello, Maxine. Maxine. Yeah. <laughs> kissy, kissy. Well, Dustin, take care of Maxine. We appreciate the time. Always appreciate you picking up the phone with us, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Sounds good. You have a good one. See you, Dustin. Mark, do you have a dog voice? Do I have a dog voice? Yeah. I don't. I don't think so. What's up, Pooch? Get over here.
You, you, don't have a a, you don't have a dog voice? I don't know. Three people in the world, said it a thousand times, three people in the world you cannot trust. Three barometers. I'd go like, hey, buddy, or whatever, like this and that. Somebody who doesn't. Okay, people that don't know how to deboard an airplane. Uh-huh. So Stand the, up as soon as we you land. Or the people that, ju- like, you're trying to get out of your row and people from the row behind are, like, moving. You're like, mm-hmm. no, dude, you're in 28. You don't you don't leave until 27 is clear, right? Mm-hmm. That's group one. Group two, and this is a big one. This is a real sign of a sociopath. I mean, people that, like, got bodies in the basement don't return their grocery cart. That's a good one, too. But the third and the most obvious telltale sign of a heartless, non-empathetic sociopath is somebody that does not have a dog voice. Okay. When you see a dog, you automatically don't you, you know, hey, buddy, how you doing? You do a dog voice. Yeah. Right? Turn into Al Bundy a little bit. Anybody that doesn't have a dog voice is a sociopath. All right. Well, we'll take that into the next segment. <laughs> Appreciate Dustin jumping on. Zach Kiefer coming up in a little bit. It's Kevin and Query, 93.5-1075, The Fan. It's knowing that your door is always open. It's and Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. That makes me tend to leave my sleeping bag rolled up and stashed. I'm not sure what we're doing here. Yeah, what song is this? Gentle on My Mind by uh, Glenn Campbell. Oh, okay. Was, is, is it only rock and roll? Do we not deviate to country or folk a little bit? I'm not a country guy, but I, I just was curious what song that was. I feel like I need to go back to bed. <laughs> Mark, I was thinking about this this morning, and I wanted you to expand upon it. This is going to sound like an odd question. I grew up, when I was born, my family lived in Shelbyville. My dad, both of my parents are Indianapolis natives, Northside Indianapolis natives. And my dad was in the steel business and worked for a company called Shelby Steel, which later became O'Neill Steel, but it was based in Shelbyville. So we lived in Shelbyville when I was born, although I was born in Indy. And then when I was very young, we moved to Evansville for a brief period and then moved back to Shelbyville. And then the summer before I started kindergarten, my parents, both being Indianapolis natives, moved back to Indianapolis to the house where they still lived that I grew up in on the northeast side. And so I've lived my whole life with the exception of some job stints elsewhere, St. Louis, New York notably, and a year at the University of Kansas. I have lived my entire life really in Indiana. And so doing a radio show talking about Indianapolis to me is, it comes naturally to me because it's just talking about the things that I grew up in. You know, when I think of Lindner's Ice Cream and Service Merchandise and Sammy Terry and Cowboy Bob and Channel 4 and, you know, the, the tuba before a Purdue game and Martha the Mop Lady and all of those things, uh-huh. it's just very instinctive to me. And I in, enjoy being in the area that is the epicenter of my upbringing. So I'm curious for you, the dynamic or the dichotomy from an emotional standpoint of the fact that, and I give you a lot of credit, I think it's remarkable i've said the same to other people that i've done radio shows with that are not from the market to be able to i I think you have a skill set that far exceeds mine because 
you are being forced to talk about things that are not naturally in your background, upbringing, backyard. And I think that takes far more skill set and, and breadth of knowledge than what I bring to the table. But I was thinking about the fact that you, with Kevin now being a father of two, Kevin Bowen, who grew up also in central Indiana and is raising kids in the footprint of where he grew up, is it odd for you to know that you are raising children who this is now their home and your home is not no theirs? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I know my my kids, especially when we go see like my parents or my wife's family up in northwest Indiana and Illinois, they're always like, oh, I wish we were closer. I'm like, yeah, that, that'd be nice and everything, but we like where we live and everything. Yeah, all three daughters born at IU West Hospital over in Avon. Um, we're closing in on, though, where, where I'll have lived in Indiana almost as long as I've lived in Illinois now right. because I've been here since, since college. I moved away after graduation for a little bit, but it's closing on to where I'm going to have more years in Indiana than in Illinois, so we're quickly getting there. Uh, it was a bit of culture shock when I first got here just because you're seeing people walk around and, like, I remember walking around and, you know, people be wearing like Pat McAfee jerseys. I'm like, well, that's odd. You don't really see other NFL franchises walking around in punter jerseys too much. But I saw more than more than my fair share. Obviously, Pat McAfee doing his own thing these days. But you'd see that or you'd see a, a Vinatieri jersey or something like that. Um, but no, kind of like I said, I got ingratiated with the sports culture here being in college. I remember my first college party was the Malice at the Palace. We had nice. a game on in the there background. And I'm like, what? what's going on right now? And everybody just stopped what they were doing, and they're like, whoa. So that was one of those like historical things. Where I'll always remember where I was for that when, moment, and it kind of took off from there, where it's just like you've been involved with it, you've listened to the radio stations throughout the years, and you just kind of, you know, you get the lay of the land and everything. So you kind of become ingratiated with the, with the culture and the sports fandom in the state. I was working at Channel 6 when the malice of the palace happened, and that is easily, without question, the most edited so like when we would put together a sportscast each night you know you would put the video in that was going to run in that night's sportscast that is the most edited or planned or, or or played piece of video in my more so than any Colts play Super Bowl play chair throw anything the the video from the brawl was the most edited I have video I've edited that video more than any video in the totality of my career and I always remember the brawl because one of the first times, probably like the the fourth or fifth time that I was on a date with Shannon, um, she had referenced to me that she thought that I was unfair in my on with JMV, actually, when I was working at Channel 6. She said, you were on the radio, and I thought you were kind of a jerk or you were cocky about the way you talked about the brawl. And I said, well... I don't. I don't think that's necessarily accurate, and so we 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 didn't have a disagreement. But she was stating her case as to to her vantage point of the brawl, and I remember saying like, "Well, why does it matter? I mean, what? Why are you that invested in caring about the Pacers Pistons fight?" And she said, "Well, I take it kind of personally because my father works for the Pacers, which I had no idea." Uh-huh. Oh, okay. And then she said that her father worked for the Pacers and then that it was very close to their family. And then I felt kind of bad. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking earlier. Well, I think we, we just lost. Sean, call right back. I, I was trying to get Sean on the line. He'd been waiting for like 45 minutes. I will, I will say one thing, about though, about, about being ingratiated in like the state. Like Growing up in Illinois, I didn't really pay too much attention to the Indianapolis 500 or anything like that. And right. now living here, 
I've learned to love it. Like, I get excited for it. I, I mean, it helps that we have guests on all throughout the month of May and all that stuff. But that's one of those things that has definitely been a culture shift where I was like, ah, oh, you know, it's on. Like, I'll check it, chicken in on there, here and there. And now that I'm, I'm in the state invested with my kids here and everything like that, that's one of those events where it's like you get it. You get why people get excited about it. You get why it's such a big deal when you're in the state. I, I didn't really feel that when I lived in Illinois. And now living here for all these years, I get it. I understand it. And I really enjoy it. So that's one of those I, that's, things that I never would have thought of. Had I have always felt that here. hockey. So did you grow up watching a lot of Blackhawks? I did. Uh, there's a whole thing with how the Blackhawks weren't on TV for the longest time with their old owner and everything like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I my dad was a huge hockey fan. I mean, I... I found an event where Bobby Hall was signing autographs, and I brought him, and it was like one of the greatest days of his life. I, I think here's what I've always felt about hockey. By the way, uh, Zach Kiefer going to join us about five or ten minutes from now to talk about the Colts. I, I have always felt that hockey and auto racing are similar to one another and that if you grow up in, in a market with it, you understand it and enjoy it, but if you grow up outside of that market, you'd be like, what? And hockey to me is a little bit like algebra, and by that I mean – the trick for me now in learning algebra is that there are a lot of formulas or problems that I am under a false assumption are more intricate than they really are, and I'm overcomplicating it. Mm-hmm. And then I have to kind of step back, and I'm like, wait, okay, wait a minute. This is all I need to do here to get to this answer, right? And with hockey, I think for a long time I was intimidated in watching it because I didn't grow up with it, and so therefore I I assumed that it was more intricate than it is. And in reality, it's like, no, you've got like a couple of guys that are on offense, a couple of guys that are like a line of defense in case the puck comes the other way, and it's very grueling, so there's constantly dudes hopping off the fence or hopping off the bench to come back in and replace other dudes, right? Yeah, I mean, but I always think it's it's just impressive because not only do you have to be good at playing hockey, you have to be good at ice skating, and not just ice skating forward, but backwards as well, side to side. There's a lot of a lot of details you have to be good at just to be a hockey player. And it always impressed me that I'm like, you can't just be good at the sport. Like you can just pick up a bat and like I could swing it here and there. You can just be good at running to be in baseball. Are you an part. ice skater? No. No. No, I don't need I don't need the, you know, the guided thing when you go on an ice skate rink. I can ice skate. I can do that. I can't go backwards really. I'm not doing any triple lutzes or anything like that. But it is amazing. I mean, the way that they like seamlessly to be honest with you it's it's kind of surprising that there are not a greater number of hockey injuries yeah like you would think you know you would think guys all the time it'd be like a guy would be out why is he out he bruised his leg he fell on the ice and bruised his leg you know what i mean yeah you're going full speed checking into somebody right into the boards or something Let me tell like you that something. it's like that that could hurt with the with the blood thinners that i'm on right now mm-hmm. it it literally if I went out and tried to play one round of hockey, I would get done and look like a raisin. You know what I mean? We need to get this guy an IV stat. I, I, I literally, I, I mean, I, I anything that I do, I get up in the morning and I, I stub my toe and look down and all of a sudden, like, I, I've got, my toe is black for like, you know, purple for like a week. It's crazy. That is wild. Let's let's hit the phone lines real quick before we get to Zach Kiefer. Curtis has called in. Curtis, how you doing this morning? I'm doing good. What's up? What do you want to talk about? Um, I want to talk about the Colts, how they could pass the ball and run. I just hope we beat the Jacksonville Jags this year. Now, Curtis, here's my question. If they don't beat Jacksonville, are you going to jump ship? I'm going to be mad at our team 
Panthers. But and I just pray we beat them. Listen, Curtis, they got to um, they got to exercise some demons here, right? Because it's still sting. I mean, you're still stinging from last year when they lost down there, right? Yeah. How long you How long have you been a Colts fan, Curtis? I've been a Colts fan for a long time since they came here, right? Yeah. Who's your favorite player? My favorite player is Darius Leonard. Now, you know, he's Shaquille Leonard now, Curtis, but here's the thing. Just so you know, I would bet you I'm going to make a wager with you. Are you ready? Yes. I would wager you like 100 bucks that the next time I'm at the Colts complex, if I ask Shaquille Leonard about this radio show, he would tell me that his favorite caller is Curtis. Yes. That'd be pretty cool, right? So when he's playing on the field, you, Curtis, can say, and I want you to say to whoever you're watching the game with, when Shaquille Leonard makes a play, say, you know what? That's my favorite player, but I'm his favorite caller. You got it? Yes. All right, my man. Enjoy the game, all right? Curtis. There he is. Telling you, man, he's right, though. He absolutely – it's Jacksonville. It doesn't – it's Jacksonville, right? We like, say that every somehow year, though. The, that's what I'm saying. What I'm, what I'm saying is, Mark, somehow the Jaguars have morphed from the team that was the automatic layup to the team that just has a stigma about it. Zach Kiefer joins us now from The Athletic on the Payless Liquors guest line. Zach, we talked to a couple of your colleagues about this, but would you agree, for whatever reason, and a big part of it is last year, I'm telling you, like Jacksonville is different. And the fact that I know it's week two, but it's almost better off that they get it out of the way because there is an additional pressure in this game because more than any other from a year ago, the owner of the Colts is still, that Jacksonville loss still rings in him. But we've talked about that, right? You agree? Yeah, I think it's twofold. I, I totally agree that it's good that this is early in the season. Like, there's there's not a ton of buildup. There's a lot of a buildup for week one, and then you roll into week two, and it's like talking to some players yesterday. Look, they're as befuddled as you and I about why this streak has gone on as long as it has. Like, they just it, – it's just hard to explain. And, and I wrote about this this morning for a story on The Athletic. Like, it's one of the strangest streaks in the NFL right now. Like, the Jaguars, they score six points more per game when they play the Colts versus everybody else. That's a lot. They give up five points less. Like, the numbers, and you'll have to dig in, they're just staggering. Like, the Jaguars just become a different team. But to piggyback on what you asked, I would agree that Jacksonville's important because of what happened in Week 18. But the real division game that really matters to Jim Irsay is Tennessee in two weeks. They got KC in Week 3 at home. Then the Titans come to town. And that's the game that has really gotten to him the last couple of years because they haven't been able to get over the hump and win the AFC South. You know, this is... After last year's second loss to the Titans, you remember the left-handed interception, and I would contend the, the interception in overtime and the triple coverage was way worse because Taylor was open 10 yards down the field and probably would have gone for 40. That's the game after that that Jim Irsay called his scouts and his entire staff in and just berated them about not being able to beat the Titans. So Jacksonville is the Demons, but Tennessee is the bigger game in the AFC South. If the Colts are smart, they'll just win both. I mean, we're going on seven years of not having success in Jacksonville. I'm, I'm looking at the result. The Colts have not scored over 20 points more than once. They've scored 
27 points in 2016. Every time else, it's 20 points or less in Jacksonville. So, I mean, the offense yeah. just stagnates for some reason in Jacksonville. I'm not sure what's going on there. Uh, I wanted to ask uh, the whole kicking situation with Rodrigo Blankenship. They brought in Chase McLaughlin, and they brought in Lucas Havrasek. Uh Is whoever kicks on Sunday for the Colts the same guy that will be kicking in Week 17? <laughs> I don't have an answer. They don't even know. Um, one addendum to what you were saying about Jacksonville, Mark. They scored 27 in a game that was in London. That yeah, was not that, in Jacksonville. There you go. So I don't know if that helps the Colts case or anything, but look, at, this is this is strange. I, I can't remember a time in the NFL where a team had two kickers that they were essentially holding the tryout during practice of a regular season week to see who's going to kick on Sunday. I think it'll probably be Chase McLaughlin. Remember, he was good in, in, in Vinatieri stead in 19. He was good early last year in Cleveland, and then he was bad late and, and couldn't make some of the shorter kicks after making a lot of 50-plusers. But um, the interesting thing is McLaughlin has lived in Indianapolis the last three years. He's been kicking at Grand Park. So um, it's not a huge transition for him. He didn't have to hop on a flight. He knows the building. I think that helps. Um, they need to figure this out because I think the Colts are just praying that Another game doesn't count, come down to the kicker, and that's a bad way to live in this league because there's so many games decided by three and four points, and, and it's probably going to come. But, um, look, you've you got to have your kicker make it from 42 yards, and then don't. That's just, that's just how it is, and they didn't have that happen Sunday. So I didn't think they had any choice. I think they had to make a move. You know, with, uh, with the conversion, 27 points in England is actually 32 over here, so it even gets worse, right? That checks out, yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, Zach, what's the latest in terms of the health you know, Alec Pierce, we now know, is in the concussion protocol. For those that are unfamiliar, that means what in terms of his potential eligibility Sunday? And if he is not there, it means who all of a sudden has an opportunity? It's hard to say what it means because guys react to concussions in such different ways. Some guys miss multiple games. Some guys don't miss any. Um, if he's out there today in a red jersey, I would imagine he's activated by Saturday, cleared by the independent neurologist, and he can play. Remember, he stayed in the game. He didn't go to the blue tent at all. He was in the locker room talking normal yesterday. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to be, you know, sidelined. But um, I, would, I would think that this is going to be a shorter one, but that's just total, total um, theory on my end. So, Let's say he's out. What does that mean? Well, it probably means Desmond Patman is activated. That doesn't mean he gets a lot of targets. But they're going to need more from Strawn, and you're going to need more from Paris Campbell, and you're going to need more from Doolin. And by that, I mean they can't drop touchdowns in the end zone. Pierce was guilty of one. Doolin was guilty of another. If they catch those balls, this team wins by double digits, and Matt Ryan throws for 350 and three touchdowns in his Colts debut. It's amazing how much the story and the narrative changes when you make those kind of mistakes that a high school receiver would make. So um, Pierce needs to get back and play better for reasons beyond just the concussion. But, look, Jake, I'll be honest with you. It's a thin receiver room. We've been talking about this for months. I know I talked about it with JMV yesterday. This is what happens. And, and they don't have a lot of depth, and they don't have a lot of proven depth behind Michael Pittman. The offense needs to be more than just Taylor and Pittman and Hines. And right now, it's, it's kind of a big question mark. They, they did show some signs of light late. I, I watched the tape on Monday, and I was impressed with what Campbell did on third down late, and Strong had some big catches. And Doolin did as well. That's good. But, um, look, you got to do it. And, and if they don't step up this week, then teams are going to know they can just double Michael Pittman, and that's going to make life really hard for this offense. 
I think, Zach, what's interesting is Zach Kiefer from The Athletic is our guest on the Payless Liggers guest line. What's interesting to me is, and look, one game does not a season make, I realize, but eventually you can start to see trends that can become bothersome. I think we thought that the experience level and the professionalism of Matt Ryan was going to offset any offensive deficiencies around and allow them to to maintain status until those things rose up and it kind of was even across the board. Is it possible, though, that the deficiencies offensively are actually going to have the opposite effect and limit Matt Ryan and in his twilight here not allow him the possibility to to mask the areas where he might be deficient because of age? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah, I would lead towards the former. I, I do think, like you said, one game does not a season make. I, I do think it's week one. And I do think – I don't think Alex Pierce's career is going to go down the toilet. Um, and I and here's what I lean on with that is it's not that I bind the talent behind Michael Pittman. It's still a question mark to me. But I'm buying Frank Reich in terms of scheming guys open. He's really good when he's got a quarterback that knows how to run his offense at running plays and scheming guys open to put them in a position to do things well. If you go back to 2019, before Jacoby Brissett was hurt, you know, he made Jacoby look like a competent quarterback with the ways he was able to get guys open. I think that's going to happen more often than not. I like Strahd's talent. Like, I'll be honest, like, he's, he's huge and he's got good hands and he can catch in traffic. Um, so I like some of what they can do. They can, they can try the deep ball with Doolin. He's got the speed. Um, I think it's going to be the former. I think Matt Ryan is going to elevate these guys over the course of the season. But the other thing we haven't talked about that, that was a, a big concern I had going in was the tight ends, And they did hardly nothing on Sunday. There's, there's just no – it doesn't feel like there's any sort of weaponry there, right? It doesn't feel like Moelle Cox is anything different than he has been. And maybe that's fine. And, and Grayson didn't do a whole lot. And that just limits your offense again. Like in 18, when they had the best offense they've had under Frank Reich, it wasn't just Andrew Luck the last 10 games. They had a real red zone threat in Eric Ebron, that tight end that they love to move around. And they had two eyes. So, you know, right now they have one receiver and a bunch of question marks. And I throw the tight end into that. Matt Ryan's going to have to work. He's going to have to work to bring these guys up. I thought there were signs late that could be encouraging. But, again, they're playing one of the worst teams in the league last week in Houston, and they could only manage a tie. He's Zach Kiefer of The Athletic on Kevin and Query on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, you mentioned him by name. Uh, if there is help for the weaponry for Matt Ryan, it won't be in the form of number 13. I'm sure you've seen the picture already of T.Y. Hilton. Thank you for the memories sign hanging outside Lucas Oil Stadium. They seem to have closed the door for T.Y. Hilton. Does that mean – do you think T.Y. Hilton will ever play another step in the NFL? Uh, obviously not in a Colts uniform, but ever, ever. Yeah, I would lead towards no. I've, you know, I kind of get the sense that T.Y.'s done. Um, I'm not going to rule it out. I'm not going to say it's 100%. If, if a Colts receiver goes down next week, I think you got to call him. Assuming T.Y.'s in shape and he's been you know, staying ready. Um, I don't know that he is, though. I don't know that he is. I think he might have moved on. You know, I was fascinated by this. I reached out to someone inside the building to say, what are you guys going to do with that T.Y. billboard? Like, you got to make a decision before week three when the Colts host the uh, Kansas City Chiefs for the home opener. So I think they kind of made their stance clear. Look, they, they've, they've been polite about this the whole time, saying, you know, we love T.Y., we think he can play. I think the team was ready to move on and, and see what the young guys can do. 
but the verdict's still out, as, as we talked about, Jake. Like, the verdict is still out whether that's the right decision or not. Because and I tweeted this during the game, T.Y. doesn't drop those touchdowns. The one to Pierce and the one to Doolin. T.Y. T.Y. would have made those catches. Would he have been open? That's a whole other conversation. But that's the risk you take when you go with these young guys. And if they make those catches, you're 1-0 right now. I feel like you have to have a pretty solid answer on if he's coming back or not because that's an, that's an expensive bring back to Kinko's. Like, I need to redesign this poster again. <laughs> it's a Snickers commercial, Sorry, right? I made an error. Yeah. Thanks for the memories think, last week. I think they knew, I think they knew, Mark. They just weren't telling me. That's right. Hey, Zach, do they have uh, – last question from me for Zach Kieford. Do the Colts have roster flexibility to – because we've seen this in the past. It's been a long time ago. But I think we saw with Blankenship the risk or the danger in a guy, a kickoff guy – that isn't used to being the kickoff guy. Is there any chance with the two kickers that they've signed that they could go into a game, one is the kickoff kicker and one is the field goal kicker? Do they have bottom-of-roster flexibility to be able to carry two guys like that? That's a good question, Jake, and yes, that is possible. That is something that I've thought about. It would be kind of crazy, though, so let's think about this. Let's say they keep both. They keep both on the 53. You get 55 on game day with Paul that means they have two kickers, three including the punter, and they also have three quarterbacks. Now, Sam Ellinger won't be active, but that's not exactly the best way to use those spots, right? Ideally, you sign Nick Foles to only have two quarterbacks. And this is a big deal in special teams. When, when they lost Rigo Buto Sanchez, I knew that this would be an issue because Rodrigo is, is not that great at kickoffs, and we saw that. And I think what happened on Sunday was it spiraled. He kicked one out of bounds. He kicked another out of bounds, and he was mentally lost. And that's what led to that awful, awful try from 42 yards. So um, now you got to bring in a guy, and this limited the search. The search was a lot harder than people think, trying to find a guy on the street right now who can do both kickoffs and field goals. And the reason they didn't bring in Badgley is because he doesn't do kickoffs. Um, I thought Badgley would have been a fine you know, addition. He was fine last year. You're not going to find a guy that's going to kick 85% on the street right now, but no, you're right, Jake. They, they do. It, it doesn't make life easier. You like to keep an extra corner just because those guys get hurt a lot. But it's the situation they're in. And this is, this is not a decision. This is not a screw-up they made in August or September. This is a screw-up they made in March and April when they didn't add a better kicker to either compete with Rod or take his job. Verity, they thought had higher upside, but the dude was like 40% in training camp. You can't keep him. So, this is the problem. You're gonna to have to you're gonna to have to tackle this down the road in a way you haven't before. You're gonna to have to either draft a kicker, which sounds crazy, but look at what the Bengals did with McPherson last year. Well, you're gonna to have to go spend some money in free agency and get a really good one because they just don't hit the open market very often. So is Hawk not even an option for kickoffs? Like they just aren't even considering him, or they just don't trust him with that. He's not an option. We were told. Okay. All right. One more for me, Zach. Uh, I, meant, I offered this up last week. I said, if they lost in Houston, would there be any repercussions? Obviously, they tied, which didn't make people feel too much better. The fan base is on edge heading into Jacksonville. If, God forbid, they lose to Jacksonville again, are there any significant repercussions you see next week? Define repercussions. Anyone losing their job? Um, multiple Jim Ursay videos on Twitter yelling about the <laughs> loss? Well, I, I would expect some videos. Uh, no, no one's losing their job. It's not a must-win, and, and I and I, I don't want to downplay the, the gravity of this game. It does mean a lot symbolically for this franchise. I think the best thing they could do, the best thing for Frank Reich, is they go down there and win 44-17, to 17, and it's never in doubt. 
But having covered several of these games in Jacksonville, that never seems to happen. Um, no, no one's going to get fired midseason. I, I don't see that barring a, a utter, utter historic collapse. I don't think that's going to happen. This team's too good for that to happen. But um, this next stretch is really important. Jacksonville, Kansas City, Tennessee, Denver. Like, we're going to find out if this team's for real five weeks into the season. Jim Mercer is not going to overreact. He's not his father. Um, but they need, they need to show something because that time Houston simply was not good enough. Hey, let me tell you something, Zach. You, you're closer to it than I, but Bob Ursay was known for the infamous, like leaving the the you know the owner's box and coming down on the sidelines and firing guys after the game, and then you know. Oh of course, yeah. Now I've written about it. And and listen, Jim Ursay's not that guy, but that loss last year in Jacksonville tempted him more than any other to become that guy for one day, <laughs> right? Some things were decided that day. We'll just we'll just put that. We'll just say that. Yep. You, you haven't covered the team with them winning in Jacksonville yet, have you? I've been on the beat nine years, guys, and I still I guess they have. covered a win yeah. in Jacksonville. Yeah. So hopefully history made for Zach Kiefer and the Colts on Sunday. They can, they can break that streak. Zach, appreciate the time as always. Thank you for hopping on with us. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Appreciate all right, that's Zach Kiefer of The Athletic. You can always check out his latest on The Athletic. I've always wondered this. Are all Jaguars Panthers or all Panthers Jaguars? That's a great question. Let's I'm, see if we can let's see if we can answer that. I we believe got... a Panther is a Jaguar, but just of the all like the coat is all black, right? So are you saying when the Panthers and Jaguars became NFL franchises, someone didn't really put too much thought into it? They're just like, ah, same <laughs> thing, just change of color. I scheme. think that's right. I think all we need to look this up, but I think all all Panthers Panthers are Jaguars just of a certain color scheme. Am I wrong? According to AnimalCreativeFacts.com, they are two completely separate animals. Then what? Okay, what does it say for Panther? Uh, I'm gonna need more. T- we need to hit a break, and I got I need to research this more before I can give you a. Well, you just proper pulled answer. it up right in front of you. You can't <laughs> read what the hell's in front of you. I got the headline. I don't have the body. You want me to read the body of the text? I, I think a Panther. People are calling in. A, a panther is some sort of – I can't remember what it is, but a panther is a specific kind of cat, and what makes it a panther is its its designation of, like, color and coat. I think that's right. Someone from the Indianapolis Zoo, give us a call, 239-1070. Also, if you want to play the pop quiz, that's up next, 239-1070. A four-pack of tickets coming to the speed room. Right now, though, it's time for an abbreviated morning checkdown. The morning checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All metros are Jaguars. That is correct, Matt. They are now. Uh, By the way, speaking of college athletics, college football this weekend, it's Ball State hosting Murray State. That's going to be 2 o'clock up in Muncie on Saturday. That game will be getting underway just as Indiana and Western Kentucky theoretically will be wrapping up. That's a noon kick from the Rock Memorial Stadium down in Bloomington. Purdue and Syracuse at noon on Saturday and Cal at Notre Dame 2.30 Sunday kick. On the pro side, the NFL kicks off week two tonight with a huge one on Amazon Prime Video. The Chargers take on the Chiefs. That'll be a good one right there. Heading over to the baseball side of things, the Pirates routed the Reds 10-4. Cubs sweep the Mets 6-3. Cardinals made some history as they beat the Brewers 4-1. That might be in the pop quiz, so I don't want to give too many hints. Guardians run their win streak to six as they top the Angels 5-3. White Sox get blanked by the Rockies 3-0. 
Toledo Mudhens topped the Indians 4-3. Pop quiz is next, 239-1070. It's Kevin and Query, 93.5-1075, the fan. Oh, it's pop quiz time, 239-1070. Just for playing and dealing with us, you get a four-pack of tickets to the speed room. And if you go five for five, you get a Jiffy Lube prize pack. Jake, one through eight, who you I got? Th- I think, by the way, hang on, a Panther. Oh, boy, you're still on this? Well, Mark, if you if, when you bring stuff up, you got to pay it off. I think you because, brought it up. You were, you were curious. But you can't just leave it out there. Uh, a Panther is a large cat that consists of tigers, lions, jaguars, and leopards. So where exactly they are found dictates which area of pan- or which version of panther you're talking about. A leopard, for example, is a panther that is found in Africa and Asia. A cougar is a panther that is found at Rock Lobster. I was going to say, a big fan of cougars. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, et cetera, et cetera. A black panther... Um, is a form of a black jaguar. Okay. So they're all Panthers. There Wakanda forever. Black Panther. What's that? Did you get, never mind. Forget it. <laughs> okay. All right. Two, three, nine, ten, seventy. Jake, color one through eight. Pick it. LR Panthers. Hats off to thee. Uh, we'll go with number two. Two. Kyle. Good morning, Kyle. What's up? Morning, gentlemen. How you doing? Good. You? I'm hanging in there. I just got a lesson in jaguars, tigers, Don't lions, you find that bears. stuff interesting, Kyle? Yes, it's very interesting when you ever you come up with a subject, Jake. Well, thank you. I think that's that awkward pause was all you needed to know. Uh, I don't have the pop quiz, by the way. Okay, all right. Well, I'll, I'll save you for now. I I guess instead of going, is it Mark or Jake that there you want? Is. Somehow it's in my deleted file. I, I don't, you hear that, Scotty? He's deleting your mail now. Let's go, all right. Jake. <laughs> well, Jake's got his email back, so you're good to go there. You right, there, he wants Kyle? To delete it off. Yeah. Okay, you want me to lead it off. All right, here we go. Chargers and Chiefs tonight, Thursday night football. Chiefs lead the all-time series 65-58-1. Who leads the all-time series between the Chargers and Chiefs in the playoffs? They've only played once. Who won it? Got to go with the Chiefs. All right. Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina were the starting battery for the St. Louis Cardinals for the 325th time last night, setting a major league record. Whose record did they pass? There's zero chance he knows this. Zero. No one knows this. Whitey Ford and Yogi Berra, Red Farber and Ray Schalk, Mickey Yolowich and Bill Freehan, or Warren Spahn and Del Crandall? Go with C. Go with C, yes. That was my first choice. (laughs) All right, there we go. C it is. All right, question number three. Seattle rookie Julio Rodriguez hit his 26th home run and stole his 25th base in the Mariners' win over San Diego yesterday. He is just the third player in Major League Baseball history to steal 25 bases and hit 25 homers as a rookie. Chris Young did it first in 2007 and was later joined by this current star who's named after a fish. Is it Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, Trevor Story, or Jose Ramirez? (laughs) I never had any Ramirez, but let's go with Trout. (laughs) Okay. All right. 70 years ago, the Boston Braves played their final game at Braves Field before moving to Milwaukee. Portions of Braves Field still stand and make up part of the football stadium for what college team? Is it Boston College, UMass Boston, Boston University, or Northeastern? Bill Brooks played here. Boy, you're giving a lot Boston of hints to University. me. Okay. 
lot of hints coming from jQuery over here. On this day in 1946, the Brooklyn Dodgers beat the Chicago Cubs 2-0 in Ebbets Field in a game called after five innings. Why was the game called? Was it called because of darkness, fog, a swarm of bees, or a bunch of gnats? Let's go with the bees. It would be ironic if Washington's current baseball team was actually playing in that game. The Nats. Man, oh man, was that four hints for you today? All right, here Good we go. Grief. We'll go in descending order here. Nats was indeed correct. Boston University and Bill Brooks, correct. Mike Trout, correct. Is it trout or salmon that swim the wrong way? Salmon go it's up the stream. Right? Okay, yeah. Uh, Mickey Lolick and Bill Freeman for Detroit. Your um, answer for that one was pick C. <laughs> well, not a very. I mean, come on, not man. Very veiled. None of it mattered because question number one: the San Diego Chargers behind, I believe, Stan Humphreys, if I'm not mistaken, in 1993 defeated Kansas City in a wild card game, 17 nothing. Kyle, hang in there. You got Speedrome tickets. Sam will take your information there. We'll put a bow on this dog and pony and Panther and Jaguar show next. Right. It's Kevin and Query, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Fairly big news here, Mark, in the world of tennis this morning and the fact that we have talked a lot about we are in an era, and I think sometimes, and this has happened with me, where you don't really fully grasp greatness sometimes until you take a step back and look at it and then re, you know think, man, I just kind of took for granted what was happening during the course of while it was ongoing. Certainly in tennis, that's been the case. I mean, Pete Sampras was a great player. I saw him here at the hard courts. Um, I don't know that I realized at the time just how good he was or how dominant he was of his era. And we have seen between Djokovic, Nadal, and Roger Federer, three of the all-time greats, and nothing lasts forever, right? We know that much, and now we know that one of them is going to go ahead and hang up the tennis shoes, right? Yeah, Roger Federer announcing that next week's La- Laver Cup will be his last. The 20-time Grand Slam champion said on social media, quote, I must recognize when it's time to end my competitive career. So just a few weeks after Serena Williams seemed to have her song song, Roger Federer will be joining her in the retirement home. You ever realize how much Roger Federer looks like Quentin Tarantino? Yes. That- I always like. I always feel like if I met them in the airport, I'd be like, hey, I really liked you and... Uh, Kill Bill, like I play tennis. Is that is that fairly out there? Like the fact that they look. Alike? I think it is. I think it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite Tarantino movie? Ooh. Uh, I, I think Tarantino, like he's. I think he got to a point where he almost tried too hard to like be the like. I, I don't know. I mean, Pulp Fiction was interesting to me because so many people were like, "Oh, it's amazing," and you're like deep down, you're like, "Dude, you know, you didn't." understand what was going on right 
I really like Reservoir Dogs. I'm a real big fan of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think that's a really, probably his best recent one. Really? Yeah, I like that one a lot. I thought it was, I thought he tried too hard. I liked it. I thought it was good. I like Django. Did you see? Oh, yeah, Django Unchained is great. Yeah. Kill Bills were good. It was good. Hateful Eight, not so much. Um, Inglorious Bastards was was pretty good. Now, Inglorious Bastards is the one, Mark, that I went to go see that movie. And I was working here at, at WIBC at the time. And I went like to a mid-afternoon matinee of Inglorious Bastards because, I mean, I was getting up at 4 in the morning. And I'm getting popcorn. If you recall, the movie was broken down into scenes, like mm-hmm. scene one or acts, act one, act two, act three. I went by myself. People think it's weird I go to movies by myself, but I do. So I go to the movie and I'm getting a popcorn or a Coke, whatnot. And this guy comes up. He's like, hey, Jake, what do you think of the movie? I'm like, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's cool. Oh, yeah, well, I look forward to hearing your critique about it in the morning on the radio. And I'm like, oh, I appreciate that you listen to it. So we go back in the theater, and there were probably 40 people in the theater. And I sat three-quarters of the way from the screen by myself. This guy sat behind me, but at the end of each act of the movie Inglorious Bastards, he would go, because they would do, like, cliffhangers, right? And he would... What do you think of that, Jake? Yeah, he's going to get him, isn't he? And he's yelling at me the entire movie, like as if we're sitting next to each other in the theater. And everyone in the movie is like, who is this jackass in the front? And why is this other jackass yelling at him through the entire movie? Oh, my God. Literally, like as the, the, you know, the, he's going to give him some, a glass of milk here, isn't he, Jake? (laughs) Oh, my God. I can't even imagine that. It was very uncomfortable. Very, very uncomfortable. Hi, John. Good morning to you. How are you? Uh, this is Joe. Joe, my bad. What's up? Um, me and my son are, uh, he's 13. We are on our way uh, almost to Cincinnati now, headed toward this weekend's game in Jacksonville. Okay. And the last time we attended a Colts game together was in 2014 in Jacksonville. And at that time, we lived in Florida. So he was like five, and right? He was five, yes. Okay. And uh, we went, and it was hotter than fire that day. And luck threw four touchdowns, and we won 44-17. to 17. So we are camping and whitewater rafting on our way down to the game. Now, are you going to actually whitewater raft part of the distance there? You're, you're driving, right? Yeah, no, we're going to East Tennessee. There's a uh, whitewater rafting uh, excursion we're going to do for three hours on, on Saturday. And on now, Friday, we're going to play golf. Is your son – has he not started school yet, or does he get a free vacation? Yeah, here? he has. This this is a worthwhile trip. I've okay. been, we've been planning this for like several years. And what's your son's name? Josiah. Josiah. Is he in the car yeah. right now? Yeah, he is. He's listening in his AirPod. He's got the show on. He's listening. Josiah. No, he's not really listening. He's actually playing video games. Uh, ask Josiah who his favorite Colt is. Who is your favorite Colt, Josiah? Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, yeah, that's no surprise there. And you guys are at about Cincinnati right now? Yeah, we are. Now, once you're in Jacksonville, how long are you going to stay in Jacksonville? Are you worried at all about going to a game wearing Colts gear in Jacksonville, or are people pretty cool? No, people are cool there. They don't have enough hard – I mean, this isn't like Pittsburgh and Buffalo. And I've about got killed once in Buffalo, but uh... – <laughs> Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
Fair yeah, enough. but anyway, I'm not worried at all. Can, now, I, can you... I tempt you to drive a little farther south past Jacksonville and stop at Bucky's in St. Augustine? <laughs> you should do that. Are you going to stop at any uh, Bucky's, Stuckies, and or Sad Sam's fireworks? Well, did we lose Joe? Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you now. Are you going to stop at a Bucky's, Stuckies, or a Sad, a Sad Sam's fireworks? Any of the three? Maybe a bu- maybe a Bucky's. Hell, Hell yeah. yeah. Well, listen. If you got to use the restroom, you guys drive safe. Josiah, enjoy the weekend with your dad. If if you got to use the restroom, Bucky's the place to go. Depending right? how Sunday goes, Bucky's might be the highlight of the trip. It might be anyway, even if the Colts win. <laughs> you love using Bucky's. Oh man, don't I you? do. I know. Somebody, Kevin, tagged me in a tweet last week. Somebody was going to Bucky's for the first time and wanted to know what to what to get. Oh, I, I DM the hell out of that guy. <laughs> now, when we were at Bucky's, I think I told you they had. Uh, Bucky's pajamas, and I didn't buy them. I kind of regret it. That's full, an error on your part. The full footies I mean, and everything. I'm, I'm still rocking my Bucky's thermos. You should do like you should do Bucky's endorsements. I, you kind of you already are. You right? don't think I jump at that opportunity? Uh, tomorrow's Friday, Mark. Last twenty seconds of the show. What do you got lined up for tomorrow? We've got a busy show. We've got Matt Taylor, Greg Regstraw, and Jaguars reporter Mike DiRocco is going to join us as well. So okay. we're going to get the the other side of things, how they're feeling heading into heading into the game. Take on a Sunday. look behind enemy lines. We'll mm-hmm. ask him the difference between a Jaguar and a Panther. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. Have a great day, everybody. Dan's on at noon. John at three. Enjoy it.